Yes, yes, yes. Good peoples, good peoples. I hope everybody's doing awesome, having a badass march. We're hoping and praying that the lion that came in, it will leave like a pretty little lamb and it will be beautiful and warm. It's over 40 right now. So many consistent days of in the 20s was literally affecting me in my mood. Like you're just like grumpy. You're sore. Your muscles are sick of being tight all afternoon. Oh, it's 40 out right now. I do have a t-shirt and just a sweatshirt on. I have literally one layer on. So I, there is an element that you need to dress properly for the weather. Like, I don't <clears throat> put it past myself that I'm not making the correct decisions about what to wear out in the cold. But I'm just trying to live that, you know, beach life. Beach life. Yo, babies. Awesome. Nikki B. Nikki Barbado. I mean, this it doesn't get any better. And I probably say that every time, right? Every time you're like, this is... No, but I'm very serious this time. Nikki Barbado is the sweetest, coolest, realest, funniest, baddest motherfucking guitar player dude there is. Like, dude <laughs> plays the fucking shit out of the guitar. Plays the shit out of it, dudes. Uh, writes tunes, makes fucking records, does his own fucking weird badass fucking thing and it's excuse me as good as it gets and um simultaneously well this and i just finished uh, a book called the war of art by stephen pressfield my friend jeff tui he uh we were at a uh at the Woodbury Brewing Company, I was playing a gig where I recorded my podcast with him, and I was back there, and the dude at Woodbury Brewing is like, yo, I listened to the Jeff Tui podcast like four times. I was like, I think you're serious. I think you really did. <laughs> I was like, who the fuck listens to a podcast four times? But I thought that was a really nice compliment because I think he was serious. Because I would say shit like, yo, I listened to your shit. I think he was fucking serious. So shout out to the Woodbury Brewing Company. Again, and Jeff was like, get this book. He's like, you'd like this book, The War of Art, Stephen Pressfield. And I read it slowly because Jeff was like, you can just whip right through this. And I, and like, like a day later, I texted him. He's like, how did you not finish that already? And I was like, dude, 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 dude. I like to savor my books. I, I have like four books going right now. And I'm like fighting through the Michael Pollan book. It's finally good. And I'm like, I gotta finish it. Anyway, this book. This book actually reminds me of Nikki. While I'm reading it and like I'm reading the Nikki's doing the Nikki podcast and I'm like this is this is Nikki. Nikki Nikki is a warrior. Nikki is a warrior. He you know what's the the artist creed is like we cannot accept failure. Like the warrior in this book he says you can you cannot accept death. That's what like just motivates you. So I'm going to read what I know, right? There's a secret that real Ballers. It says writers, but I'm going to say ballers because that's Nikki. No, that wannabe writers don't. And the secret is this. It's not the writing part that's hard. What's hard is sitting down to write. What keeps us from getting there is resistance. Then this dude goes on a tirade about resistance. Fire me up. Nikki, it makes me think about you because you're just, you're fucking, you're fucking on the line, bro. I've seen Nikki from a dude to a man. A dude is a young human apparently in this analogy, but I've watched him 
just fucking grind and do this thing and get sick of this nasty, awesome thing. Uh, the first track, right? Where's my Nikki notes? I'm totally disorganized right here. Oh, yeah. Blues Chip. We're going to play you in with that. Also, in big podcast news, but this is this is like a soft... This is like a soft opening, but I did create a Patreon page. I haven't shared it with anybody. My technical director was like, dude, you need a fucking Patreon page. I was like, all right, all right, all right. So I have one. Um, It's patreon.com backslash maybe secret famous. Maybe if you just go to my website, paulmadison.com, you can find it because it's under the podcast link. But anyway, I try to keep these intros to five minutes. This is a juicy one. It's a long one with Nikki. But it's a good one because Nikki's Nikki's the boss, dude. Nikki's a Zen chi of badass fucking homebrew, sick, gnarly telecaster guitar playing. And the sweetest gem ever. So have the best goddamn day ever. Enjoy Nikki Barbazioso. I always like giving different variations to his name. Barbats. I feel like that's what I just call him when he's not here. But anyway, Blue Chip, Nikki Barbado, have a fucking rad. March. Go to his show. It's March 23rd. If you listen to this after the date, don't worry about it. Go to the next show. Nicky Barbado, enjoy! This next one is about the stock market. It's called Blues Chip.
inspired me to the children's inspired me to use logic. I think you know what I mean. Was it at purchase or purchase? And I know. And the, the funny thing is, is, I switched to logic, and now I think I feel like everybody uses um, Ableton. Do you find yeah, that? Yeah, I feel like Ableton's just like a different thing. Talking to your mic. Talking to your mic. Let's see how you're doing. Check, check. One, two. Yeah, you're good. Cool. Like everybody has a different feeling on where they want the mic to be and stuff, you know? No, it's I'm fine with that. I like the talk radio vibe. Talk radio just really close. Yeah, just uh, fucking uh, pop filter. Uh, there was the whole thing with Caleb where he was deciding what disc he's like, should I? Uh, well, you can hear the room, but I like hearing I like hearing just my voice. I just I'm really into the idea of you guys hearing the coffee slurp. <laughs> I think that passes the test. It does. Good. <laughs> Ladies, gentlemen, cats, and kittens, today we welcome... Now you've got me talking in the radio voice. <laughs> <laughs> today we welcome my dear friend, guitarist, composer, educator, and releaser of a new record, Nikki Barbado. <sighs> <laughs> Popping the seltzer. It's official. And we just got coffee. This is actually Stumptown coffee too. It's so that really yummy. Weird, weirdo soccer spot next door has a Stumptown coffee bar. How ridiculous is that, right? It's super weird. <laughs> and it was weird that there was no soccer on the television. Yeah. No, they literally, Nikki. They always have, always have a soccer game on, and I'm always like. There's something about soccer where I feel like just like connected to the world immediately. I'm like, oh look, in Dubai they're playing soccer right now. (laughs) What am I doing? (laughs) I could be watching soccer, doing something cool. (laughs) Like what? Fuck! I'm in here making some dumb song, you know. Anyway, so Nikki, this is this is fake. I feel like in Secret Famous, there I I didn't really. I'm not a huge planner, which you probably know. And the guests have been this, like, natural progression, right? And I was telling you, you were literally requested by our dear friend, co-friend, guitar player, Peter. Wow, that's amazing. And first of all, like, thank you so much for having me on this. And I'm really honored that you asked me. And, like, when I first saw you coming out with the podcast, I was like, yep, that's something I'll never be a part of. (laughs) (laughs) Get out of here. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, woo. but no, seriously, thank you. I'm, I'm kidding, but thanks. Uh, I'm glad you're here. And so I said to Peter, I'm going to ask Peter's question first because as soon as we record this and press it, I'm going to send it. I'm going to like text it to Peter. It'd be like <laughs> request granted. Peter, I said, well, if you if you had a question for Nikki, what would you ask him? And he was and Peter's a funny guy, man. Peter was just like, <laughs> why the Telecaster? Ah, that's a great <laughs> so, question. Let's start with Peter's question, which was such <laughs> such an intense. I was like, "That's a big question to a guitar no, player." No, it's right? a totally so big let's, question. Let's start right there. Why did you pick the Telecaster? We'll try to keep this as general audience as possible, but maybe okay for the general audience. Tell us what the hell the Telecaster is first and foremost, and then we'll. Divulge, you know. Cool. So the Telecaster is one of the, it's probably, I, if I have my history correct, it's like the most, 
It's the first mass-produced solid-body electric guitar, and it came out in 1949-ish with, like, prototypes, and then in 1950, it was released uh, under a different name, and they went under a couple of name changes until 1952, where they decided on Telecaster, because the the story goes that television was, like, just starting to become popular in 1952, which I find so funny. Like, could you imagine a guitar coming out now and it's like introducing the Instagram? It's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. like we're naming it after technology. It's like, yeah, like it's it wouldn't work now, I don't think. But anyway, um, so the Telecaster, when Leo developed it, he basically Leo Fender, he took like a lot of the parts from the lap steels he was building. So they have a very like twangy sound and a bright sound when you're using one of the electronic settings on it. And the other setting is of a, a very warm setting. So the thing with the telly is like you have these, and then when you combine them, it's like this completely other sound. So you have three very distinct sounds on the guitar. And so why the Telecaster for me? Um, I started writing with the telly and arranging stuff with the telly uh, in like 2016-ish, like right when I graduated school. Mm-hmm. And, you know, before that, I was really just studying Wes Montgomery and George Benson and all these like neck pickup, archtop sounds. Mm-hmm. And it was like this warm thing. And, and I liked that a lot, of course. But... When I, I I always had this thing for the telly, just like from a distance, and when I started playing one, I was like, "Wow, this is just like." I think the Jeff Beck quote sums it up really well. He talks about he's just like this guitar. The telly feels so alive; it just feels like alive. So I could play a really low chord, like a dense, thick chord, and I feel like with the telly, every note is clear and. Mm. So it really helped me as a composer kind of realize um, some of the things I was hearing in my head, and it just made them sound better in my mind for what I was trying to do. Um, and then I approached it that way. I was like, well, let me write stuff and arrange stuff with this instrument specifically in mind. you know. And, and I have other guitars. I have I – have, I've played Les Pauls for a long time. I've played Strats for a long time. I, I have a Fender Jaguar that I play now and again. And I have an Archtop, and I've played 335s. And after writing with the telly so much and, and playing live with it, you know, I, I go, sometimes I take my original tunes in just for fun and say, like, all right, let me try it on a Les Paul. And half the time I can't even play this stuff on the Les Paul. Mm-hmm. Like there's certain things that that instrument won't let me do. <clears throat> That that the telly does let me to do, uh, mm. let me do. So, yeah, that's kind of where it came about. It became like I almost treated it like like a separate instrument than guitar. It yeah. was like a sub. I mean, it's a sub genre of electric guitar, but I treated it as its own thing. That is a really good and honest answer. And thank you. The just. The episode that's going to come out right before this, Nikki, um, Mm -hmm. was with Adam Gould and he has kind of found his 
passion in the Telecaster. Cool. And he was cracking me up because he was describing all the different projects and bands he was in and he was like saying well in this band i play telecaster and in this other <laughs> band i play electric guitar and i was and he yeah. wasn't even aware that he was saying it so wow, i started funny. like joking with him immediately i was like oh, uh, you know in this band you don't play les paul guitar you play you know <laughs> so this is already an hour running joke there's something about like the telecaster is it, its own sound and its own thing but it, it all every guitar player eventually you're like oh wait a second I see why every guitar player plays this right yeah you know? there's a thing to it and and you know most people associate the telly thing with the bridge pickup sounds and like the super twangy stuff and of course I love that but even the other sounds the neck pickup is often a lot of times kind of people overlook the neck pickup on a stock telly or they put like a different type of pickup in there but that has its own vibe too that i really enjoy it's like just radically different from the bridge pickup and then uh both pickups together is like its own thing too so that's what i like about it it's like three distinct characters that you could kind of switch between yeah yes and for the listener at home who just heard blues chip right nikki is very skilled in standard technique Standard pick stuff, but he he you described your own style as homebrew one time, which I thought was like the best. You're like, well, you know, I just do this homebrew thing. So, as a normal guitar, as a mortal guitar player like myself, and we watch Nikki play, he gets all these crazy sounds and effects because he's using your fingers. You're using your whole hand. Yeah, this is like, and it's, and I think Nikki calls it homebrew because it's not like quote-unquote traditional right-hand technique, what you would right. learn at classical school, but he developed you developed it on your own. Yeah, so my right-hand technique with the finger-style thing is it really stemmed from uh, what I was doing in high school, which was like I was just absolutely obsessed with Derek Trucks. Yeah. I, I saw Eric Clapton in 2006, and it was him, Robert Cray, Derek Trucks, and Doyle Bramall II, and... I I I remember leaving the concert just like singing what Derek Trucks played in his solos. Like his thing was so melodic, so tasteful, and I was just like, I have to be able to, you know. And I didn't have the musical training at that point to really understand like what was going on, but I knew I just had to be closer to whatever it was that he was doing. Yeah, so my yeah. first thing was like, all right, I should probably ditch the pick and go fingers just because I, that's what I notice well, him Derek doing. That's what does. This is what I'm going to do. Yeah. yeah. So, and then it kind of stemmed from that. And then, um, you know, I, I it, it became a point where I was like, I just hate playing solos with the pick. Like, I felt like I, I was just way more in control with the touch and the feel of the strings and, like, dynamics and... Um, like the percussive elements of using your fingers. And and I liked the sound, too. It didn't have that kind of harsh transient. Um, and, yeah, so so it's, it stemmed from that. And then I went to school and studied jazz with a pick. And I learned George Benson picking technique. And I I rolled with it for a while. And then I was just like... I feel like disconnected from my instrument mm, nowadays. Yeah. So I kind of was just like, screw it, I'll go back. 
and then I, I've gone back. You know, I, I still use a pick, and I really like using a pick. Um, I use a pick for for rhythm stuff, though. For rhythm, you know, like with the if you're doing a James Brown kind of thing, or mm-hmm. or or if I'm playing with uh, Salcedo's Latin Soul, like I need the pick for rhythm stuff. A lot of pick in the in that band, yeah, yeah. So so you need it. For, for me, it's the rhythm stuff, and then as soon as I take a solo, I kind of ditch it, or I hold it with my pinky and ring finger somehow. And then solo with the other fingers. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, because I think on the couple. So Nikki gave me the. I'm holding the CD in my hand. I listened to it a bunch. Thank you. I think the more that, like, I as a mortal, as a maybe non guitar player, you'd be like, yeah, that's the guitar. But holy cow, that's a lot of notes and sounds from one guitar. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's like, it's like check check this dude out. Like he's doing. All of this stuff, you know Thank what I you. mean? Like, and and even on before all of that, like, it's interesting to hear your journey because you have such a voice on the acts. Like, no one ever hears Nicky Barbado and is like, "Yo, that's no, we we know." You know what I mean? The way you <laughs> bend and the the speed that you bend, and then the touch from your fingers, like you know, like oh, man. that's only you. your hands. That's that can only be you. You found your sound. Like, Thank, wow. Damn, thank you. That's really kind of you to say. Right? Is that the opening paragraph in the Miles Davis biography? Like, you don't have to walk into the ocean, bro. Like, you found your sound. <laughs> Man, thank you. That, that, I, that's really kind. You found I, it so I young, too. It. Think about that. You were, like, on the journey. Derek well, Trucks, oh, George Benson, God. and they're like, so, yeah, fuck it, I'm Nicky Barbado. It's so funny. I read all these interviews with these super famous people throughout history, like, famous musicians, and I, I feel like so many of them were just like, yeah, so I started playing, and then I got the record deal, and then we were touring the world. I was <laughs> yeah, like, what? Yeah. Like, well, I had to go happen? through so many like artistic rebirths like to get where I am, and yeah. I still am like working on it. And it's like amazing to me, <laughs> you know. It's like, but I think the record um, kind of reflects that. You know, it goes through different genres and stuff. And to me, it, it, when I was writing the tunes for the record and putting it together for the band, I was never like, all right, I need to have like a Latin tune or like bossa nova tune and like a country tune and like a rock tune and like a tune that kind of sounds like Thelonious Monk and this and that. Like I kind of just wrote whatever came to mind and I kind of just rolled with it. I just went with it and I didn't question it or challenge it. And then to me, it seemed like a, it seemed cohesive. It didn't, it it was honest, you know. It was mm-hmm. like, well, this is what I'm feeling right now on this tune, and yeah. And here's a question I always ask my guests, and and you're alluding to it now. But how how do you write? How do you approach writing? How does that That's a great happen question. for you? Thank you. Um, for me, it all stems from the guitar. Most of the tunes on the new record, I actually wrote as solo guitar pieces, like not even intending for them to be with a band. And then, of course, like, you get a a gig opportunity and you're like, oh, shit, I got to get, I got to figure it out. I got to get all this stuff together. Yeah. Um, So I kind of repurposed that. And I worked hard with with Chris Anderson, the bass player on the record, um, kind of arranging the tunes for a band and making sure, like, you know, every everything translated that I wanted to hear from the solo piece to a band thing. Mm-hmm. And I spent a lot of time with John Arabagon, the producer, too, just kind of working out some of the tunes. 
Um, but it, it, to answer your question, is all from guitar. You know, most of the time, I'm, I'm just a, a lot of the tunes were written from like things I would just pick up the guitar and just play like instantly and be mm-hmm. like, oh wow, what was that? I never, you know, without really thinking too hard, just kind of like noodling around, and then once I get like a concept or like a little theme, then I'll try to develop it. Develop I don't write from chords per se. I don't write um well, okay. So, I don't really write from chord symbols like all right, here's the chord progression, let me put a melody on top. I'm really interested in like counterpoint. I follow I generally the thing that reigns supreme is the melody. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I I'm always trying to write something that's like catchy and gets like stuck in your head ideally. And um then I try to find I experiment and find chords that lie under those melodies that either, you know, highlight certain sections of the melody in a, in a pleasing way to me or bring out the drama in some sections or are just kind of supporting the melody somehow. You know, but it's it's really from guitar. A lot of times I have I have trouble after the fact being like what the heck is the chord symbol here it's like these five notes <laughs> you know so so i write it from and and a lot of times with my charts i will write out i'll just write out like like as if it was like a classical piece with with grand staff i'll write it out in that way which where it's just like yeah i guess it's an f major chord with a four on top of it mm-hmm. but like really it's this voicing so I'm, I'm voicing specific yeah um but it's always after the fact because again it's like melody with harmony under and then some of the tunes on the record were written less with that mindset and more with like all right i got this killing band i got tony mason on drums and chris anderson on bass hop in and like i was like how do i make them sound good so blues chip the one you guys heard in the beginning was written i was like i just want to make tony sound like a beast Mm -hmm. and like like how do i do my thing on it while satisfying that uh limitation i guess so that one I wrote more from a groove. Um, same with Au Pair. Au Pair and Every Day is a Bad Hair Day, the title track, I literally improvised just like one day in my apartment. The and pieces I, came and you... Yeah, I mean, there was a it. lot of editing afterwards, of course, meaning like compositional editing. Mm-hmm. But Every Day is a ha- uh, Bad Hair Day almost was like done i maybe edited like two bars i was like wow that was that was crazy just like i don't know of inspiration it just came, came out yeah that's you know? cool those are the best moments um au pair au pair was interesting because i had a lot of trouble writing the i guess if the form is like a a b c i guess you could call it like the c <clears throat> section the, the final section of it like to, for me was was a pain in the ass like i i really struggled with the counterpoint i heard the melody clear as day but i was just kind of like what harmony fits under there and i i messed with it for like months and i was playing the song live and i would just kind of say you know forget the counterpoint let me just play the melody on top and let the band just kind of play bass notes you know because it's a trio um but yeah i struggled with it forever and then 
it took me to arrange it for strings, a string quartet, for me to actually kind of figure out what I was hearing. And that was like a week or two before we went to the studio. Mm, and we had played it live so many times already, and I was just like, all right, wow, I finally actually figured out what I'm hearing. So that was cool. That is cool. Yeah. Oh, so that's interesting. That that's, that's, It's always fascinating to me. So do you ever sit down with the intent to write? You're like, all right, now I, I need to, now you, you have a new, you have to write a new record. You're like, okay, I have to write new tunes or yeah, do you no. write a little bit every day or it's just, you're always working on guitar. I'm kind of always stuff. working on writing. Yeah. I, I keep it very loose until there's like a gig coming up or until, <laughs> yeah, you're like, you know, or until obviously you got to record, but really for me, it was like the gig. It's like, all right, I got to have a new one for this gig. What's, what's it going to be? And then, you know, I would, and and basically I'm always compiling, um, just demos of just like me and like a wife beater, like videoing <laughs> myself, like playing an idea, you know, you do um, it with the video, not just the audio. I do it with the video oh, because sometimes, yeah, exactly, ah, exactly, smart. You know, so, but yeah, I'm always doing that, and then I, I. Now, do you go back and watch those videos? Yeah, usually I do. Um, not again. It's usually when it's like this deadline, and I'm like, oh crap, I got to write something. Damn it, I, I know need I have something some cool in here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'll do that. I'll revisit it. Um. And then, of course, the real hard work is the editing. You know, I mean, you know how that is with, as a songwriter. It's you know, never, it's like you it's always never have, done. Yeah, it's never done. And you always have, like, that spark. And then it's a matter of, like, putting... It's like, oh, great, I got this concept. But now, like, how does it, like... How is it self-contained? Like, how how does it function? You know? So that that's that's where the hard work comes in. Yeah. That, yeah, the the process is... Of finishing it, is editing finishing it, it or, or doing it enough to where you can perform it. Yes, that's tough. That's tough. And the reason I asked if you go back, I remember this old Van Halen quote where he was saying he generally didn't go back and listen to demos that he would make, mm. but if he wrote it out by hand and he would go back in his manuscript book and check it out. And that for some reason really stuck with me. Wow, which is why I'm always I try to at least write like a little melody or a chord progression down on paper instead of just always doing the voice demo thing. Cause in a way I was like, yeah, am I going to go back and listen to some idea I had while watching football three years ago and <laughs> get inspired by this? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, but the writing it down thing is huge. And, and, um, when, when I was working with John in pre-production and like even before that, for this record and we were just talking about tunes he's like man just like you got to write out your ideas and i was just kind of like why like what, what what the fuck's the point and and the point is it's it makes you realize that the small or seemingly small idea you have could be a huge thing mm. you know a lot of times i'll watch my videos and be like yeah it's just like a little thing it's tiny it's it's useless i could throw it away but if I write it out, I'm like, wow, I'm a genius. You know, <laughs> It's like it makes you kind of just see it in a different way. And a lot of times visually you could be like, all right, here's my verse. What if I just took bar three because it looks cool and like made that as a spark for a chorus or something, you know, something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Visually, you could get help from it. 
whereas just listening to it might only lead you down one path. Yeah. You know, so so that helped me a lot too. You know, or I'll I'll write something out and you know, it's 30 seconds on a video, but it's like X amount of bars and you're like, "Wow, okay, I actually have a lot of material here." You know. So it's just like just shifts your perspective. Yeah. Um Nikki, before we go any further, we need to my secret famous audience familiar with Chris Anderson from an early, early yes. episode, and he's just a Herculean character in life, in our <laughs> lives, because yes. he's hilarious. But we have not introduced John Arabigan, so maybe give us an introduction, because he is another larger-than-life uh, musical superhero to all of us. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe, and he functions as the producer of the record, and yeah. he's been a mentor for you for a while, so yeah, tell absolutely. us who the hell... So John Arabagon, I met him at the Lagan Music School. So you you interviewed Charlie Lagan yep. earlier on in That's the podcast. Right. He's another one of my amazing mentors that I just owe so much to. Um, so me and John met there. He knew me since I was in, I want to say, my junior year of high school. And I've always I've always admired what he did. Um, first of all, he, he won the Monk the Thelonious Monk saxophone competition in 2008. And he's won just like a ton of awards. He leads this crazy band called uh, Mostly Other People Do the Killing. Great band. He leads his own band. Um, He works with Mary Halverson. He works with Dave Douglas a lot. Um, He's worked with Wynton Marsalis and and Herbie Hancock. But his own artistry was was something I was really drawn to because I was like, oh, it's like... It's just like this other side of jazz that I wasn't really aware of when I was in high school. And and I really liked it. There's a lot of avant-garde tendencies in it. But also the guy like transcribed every transcribed every Coltrane solo, like ever. I think last time I saw him, he, I don't think he was done with the discography, but he's like he's like at the very end of Coltrane's career. It's crazy. It's amazing. Like I, I That's what he's doing right now then is what you're saying? Like he's yeah, he's yeah, working on or he's basically done with it. It's crazy. I don't know what the Has he switched is. to more of a tenor thing? Cuz I knew him as an alto he's, player and he yeah. won the Monk Award as an alto player, but I see on your record it's tenor sax. Yeah, he's and if he's in the Coltrane phase or something. Yeah, he I think he started off more with alto and then did more tenor stuff later. Interesting. Yeah, because, I didn't really like, know that. The observe well, I mean it's it's always mixed. Oh, he can do anything. I mean, he could. He plays lots of different horns too. He plays. He has a solo sopranino sax record, which is like, <laughs> it's just like the amount of things, the amount of sounds that guy could get out of like that instrument is just like what? It's like yeah. He just like really, it's crazy. It's it's amazing. So and yeah, everyone should check him out. He has a great sense of humor. He's hysterical. He's and he's really into inside jokes. Yep, we nerd out about comedy all like I do with you, but he nerd we we nerd out about comedy, stand up stuff. Really, he's yeah, he's really into Dave Chappelle and like everything. It's so he's what, kind of like a genius. Is he like a like his IQ is probably he's crazy. I mean, just his work ethic is is he's is just crazy always working. for me. He's always yeah. I, I don't yeah I I just it's crazy the because, amount of music he's. Learned and yeah. When you guys check out the record, the thing he does to to the title track, (laughs) that's that's loud out loud out funny. 
Tell, That's tell, funny. It's funny, bro. I was like, oh my god, Robkin's a freak, dude. Like, it's so funny. So, so the whole the thing that you guys have to know about the record, and you heard, you heard it on the intro, was, um, I kind of announce, right? Not kind of. I announce most of the songs on the record, and it really stemmed from from live shows, um, and what I was doing live, and. Again, I'm going to throw it back to Lagand. You know, at Lagand, there was, they're they're always about performing and, and engaging the audience. And and I would go to instrumental shows and just be so bored with like the way they were presenting the stuff a lot of times. And I was like, you know, I want to do something different and kind of go with that mentality of like, how are you going to perform and sell the song? So, you know, one of the things we say at the school to the songwriters is like introduce your song Mm -hmm. talk about what the hell the song is about so then (laughs) the people in the audience that are like three glasses of wine in they'll lock onto two words and be like oh yeah i could tell how it relates to what he said in the beginning or what she said in the beginning um so it was kind of like that i so i started introducing my songs and really thinking about and really thought about like what do i want to say to set up the songs. Mm -hmm. so john saw my show and was like, you got to do that on the record. Yeah, <laughs> it was his idea. It was it was his idea. He's like, you gotta, you gotta. He's like, they're hilarious. It's hilarious. He's like, your your intros are really deadpan and funny, and it like really, <laughs> it really, kind of like brings the song to life, brings the character of the song to life. It does it so really he, does. Thank you. I mean, and and he was like, just do it on the record. We'll we'll figure out how to do it, and. And I was like, "Wow, that's a, that's a that's a great idea," and 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 we did it. So, on we we do that. Some of the talking is just the talking, and then the song starts. Mm-hmm. Some of it is like noises in the background plus the talking, mm-hmm. and then it starts. Some of it is like, and the noises could include like one of the songs we were just like tuning our guitars. Like Chris was tuning his bass, I was tuning my guitar, and Tony was just kind of like randomly hitting symbols yeah. and stuff and then we like uh just manipulated it in pro pro tools and like made it sound weird put the talking over that and then it just cuts to the song sometimes it was the string quartet i would like write little things for the strings to do with the purpose of it being background for the talking mm-hmm. or, or the announcing rather um so with every day is a bad hair day I always had it live, so the band was kind of just starting, like, the country shuffle groove or whatever it is. And then I would talk over kind of the doom, ding, ding, yeah. ding. So I started talking and doing the doing the thing I normally do. And John was just in the 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 booth, yeah. wired up and everything. And he just started going, he started, like, making, like, a mimicking sound on the saxophone. Like, like think about... Like Charlie Brown, whenever an adult speaks, so he basically did that under me talking, and that was the first time that he did that. Like he just kind of came up with it on the spot, and we were all just dying laughing. He came up with that on the spot, bro. Yeah, we were just listening to the talking, and then and then he was just like, "All right, I'll do." I don't know. Wait. No, he was so he plays horns. He plays 
sax on that song. Yeah, because so I'm as like, this song was counting in, he then he just did it. Transcribed this. He's transcribed your. Di- when I heard it, I was like, <laughs> he must have transcribed what Nicky said, and put. He like ex- exaggerates the pitches that you yeah. speak too. He improvised it. So this is how we did it. Because um, now I'm now I'm, now you've truly piqued my interest. No, here. so like, he, holy shit! The idea was improvised. What happened was we did the song live. All right. So just so everyone at home knows, the first day in the studio, we just tracked like trio stuff. You know, it was just Tony down in Red Hook at the. Atomic sound, right? Correct. So it was me, uh, Tony, Chris, and then John on one of the tunes. Uh, but it was like the live thing the first day. And that was just, yeah, just like we do it live. We, we, we did that. And then the second day was like the fun extras, colors, textures day. Yeah. That's when we brought the strings in. That's when we did the those like ridiculous choir vocals at the end of Blues Chip. <laughs> yeah. And then we did like some other things, including this. So John overdubbed the horn part for the title track, but like as the song was counting in and he heard the talking like a bunch of times, he like kind of remembered what it sounded like and like my inflections and my voice and tried to match it now of course like he didn't get it perfect so in the studio we kind of just just a little slide when we were like editing and mixing or whatever we kind of just like made it really match it is so funny man that and it like (laughs) kind of you know as you're listening to it and you're consuming the uh album as a, a work of art you know it's always fresh so because the first time you hear him on the horn, too, it is just like complete pandemonium. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, what is going on? Yeah. I mean, is this that's just a Robigan sound now? But it's like, Grammar's. <laughs> You're like, what the hell? Yeah. I mean, but he. It's like, I didn't have to coach him at all. I was like, this is the song. Just play like snake shit on it. <laughs> and he just and he just like did. And he just does it. And I was like, all right, that that was perfect, cool. Dude, he that's fucking badass. Yeah, he's he totally fits the the vibe of the record. And I have to give a shout out to Steven Salcedo, who was like, you should get John to produce your record. And I was like, really? And he was like, yep. And I was like, okay. And I did it. That's a great idea. Steven's, yeah, Steven's Steven's a smart a visionary man. like that. Yeah, yeah. visionary. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, he, he can see like thing. That's that's I, I that's cool. Yeah, totally. and John knows you intimately well. You know what John I mean. John knows so me he's well. The perfect man to be, per- perfect person to help take your baby to the to the real world to get it out of the uterus. Yeah, <laughs> 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 it really yeah, exactly. feels like that, though, right? Is it? I mean, not no, that we've had children, crazy. but like it's, it's an idea in your head, and then you, and it's like you have to, and then it's out there, and you're like, wow, that was better than I thought. I yeah. can imagine what having a kid. You're like, well, look. I was just talking to my brother. I told him he has four kids, and I told him the second two are way better than the first two. <laughs> uh, and I was like, you got better at your at your process. You know what I mean? And he was laughing, and then he even agreed. He's like, and yeah, he's you're right. Like, they yeah. are a little bit better. I'm like, because <laughs> like, you know, this is That's a, hilarious. I mean, it's just kind of kind of what it is. I don't know. Now it's getting weird, but yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I mean... So that's great, yeah, you found... But that's the thing, it's like, you're always, 
you're never satisfied as an artist, and you're always like teetering on the brink of destruction. And at the same time, you're like you you're like set at the same. I don't know. It's like there's like these two worlds of like I I like what I did, and like I desperately need to move on from what I did. <laughs> I don't know. You're always reacting. I guess a better way to say that. That that was kind of silly. Um, I think a better way of saying that is just like, um, I totally forgot my whole train of thought. Great. Well, you need to move on or do something different. This reactionary part. Yeah, you're always reacting against yourself. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, totally true. Totally true. And to share one John Robigan story. Well, there's I got probably five, but one that really relates. Is he, he was, and he, he is a jokester, dude. He has a, he is a jokester. Yes. And he was telling uh, me about a class he was teaching and he said this in such a funny way that I I don't want to lose the humor, but he was like, yeah, so we, we transcribed the melody to Tenor Madness and he's like, they could figure it out and play it in like 15 minutes. But they couldn't write it down, so we spent the next uh, you know hour and forty five minutes trying to write the rhythms out, uh. you know. <laughs> and, and and then and then in like his coy way, he's like, and that was the whole class. See you guys, like. <laughs> so in a way that totally relates, because and I remember thinking like, I do that, I do that with students now. I'm like, cool, you can play. All right, great. Now write it down. Yeah. Go ahead, you write it down. I'm gonna check my email. Drink this cup, you know, like, because I'll see you in 45 minutes. Like, it's going to take you a lot longer than it's yeah. going to take people. You got to do it. You got to do it a bunch. Yeah. And it is something about internalizing it, writing it. And you write it. Oh, no, that's right. You're a, you, you transcribe right onto the machine. We were talking about this recently. Oh, with finale? Yeah, because I still have this, like, very serious connection to um, writing things in paper. And like pen, paper. If, yeah. If I like, for example, my schedule. Have I told you this? I switched no. to Google. Everybody gives me the business because I'm still. I write. I have a paper calendar. Mm. If I, Chris I Anderson does too. Yeah. If I write it in hand and write, blah blah blah. Yeah, rehearsal ten a.m. I never forget it. Yeah, of course. But if I just Google it and then I was double booking myself, so I, in the similar sense, there's something about when I. Part of my process is like writing a handwritten chart of a music tune I'm transcribing or a tune I have to perform, and then that like internalizes it. Even my yeah, own. Songs. I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. So I don't know because I know guys. Nikki is a very slick chart maker. I tried. And to he be. was telling me, yeah, I just transcribed right into the machine. But maybe you're so connected that it's like just a part of who you are. It might be. I don't know. Um, a lot of my teachers in the past were just like I was. You know, they were like transcribe this or that, or, or learn this tune, or blah blah blah, and and they, you know, there was a, always a writing component, and and I always asked, I was like, is it okay if I do it on finale? And they're always like, no, you got to write it out. <laughs> and I think it was <laughs> no, no. I think it was the same. I it's it's the same thing you're describing. Like you just retain it more because like it's yeah, there's. It's coming from you more, I guess. Yeah, there's something about it, right? It's yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Um, I'm just, for me, it's like my handwriting sucks. Like, that's one thing. Really <laughs> bad. I mean, if I'm taking my time, it's fine. But usually I'm, I'm not because I'm 
five cups of coffee in. You're and tweaking I'm, out like, <laughs> and I'm running into the rehearsal. Yeah. Um, but what the hell was I saying? Uh, it's just fascinating that oh, John, because, John's yeah, yeah, living yeah. by this ethos here. Yeah. So, but for me, it's like editing becomes just so much easier when you put it into software. Copy, paste, delete. You know, if I that so that's why I do it. Yeah, yeah. So I could just kind of manipulate it later without having to make a mess with erasure shavings everywhere. Yeah, no, it's a mess. It's a whole thing. I, I always start like the lyrics out in paper and then immediately transfer them to Google Drive or it's the editing is it's the beautiful thing. Yeah. Did you speaking of editing on your record, which is very live and very not doesn't feel like edited. Is there massive edits that we don't know about? I don't know. You know, a musician doesn't reveal his tricks. It's kind of an obnoxious no, question. No, no, it's a good question. How um, many times did you redo the solo on uh, a lot. Chip? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, the solos and everything were were straight up, straight up with the band. Cut with live. the exception of fifty dollars Chevy, only because we did like four takes of that thing, and I was just like. I like all the takes. I want to keep them all. And and John was just like, well, I guess you could like splice some of the stuff together. And 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 we did that. But everything else is is pretty much by itself. The only thing that besides $50 Chevy, the only and and with that we didn't go too crazy with the edits either. It was just like, all right, let's take this part from this take, this part from that take and like that's it, you know. It was very hands off the massive editing was the intros of all the songs and compiling the talking intros and getting the string sounds under them that i wanted Mm -hmm. that was the big and and getting the um the other sounds so it was that was the shit that took forever and the mixing engineer was going to kill me um but yeah that 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 because I, you know, I, I feel like you you hear these stories of great records. The story I always think of in the most guitar thing is that that this is, and I don't know if this is just a you know a lie that's perpetuated, but the I can see your house from here record with John Schofield and Pat Metheny, mm-hmm. and I would I don't know if it's true. Maybe you do. Is that the story? Is that like they tracked the record live, and then Pat took the record and went and redid all his solos. Are you serious? This is what I heard. I don't wow. know if it's true. How do you confirm this kind of stuff? Who you know? knows? I'm sure John Scoville isn't going to be like talking smack about his buddy. Yeah. But there you is know, like you a... never know. So I don't... I didn't even know like maybe... Maybe you snuck some little uh, licks in. You're like, let me just tighten this up. Or like... No, that's, that's like, a valid question. The world I come from, it's like, all right, I'll cut the solo like seven times and then it's totally... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, the thing I just learned that blew my mind was that the Phil Woods saxophone solo on Just The Way You Are, that Billy Joel tune, was like 10 takes compiled. I was like, <laughs> no, come on. <laughs> Don't yeah. tell me that. No, come on, bro. You can't... Yeah. You know, I'm like, well, the solo is so perfect. It like makes sense. Um, but yeah, so, so minimal, I would say very minimal edits in the solos. Um, most of, most of which were, were not most, some of them, most of them weren't edited. Did you have a game plan? Do you have like a game plan of the solos? Have you ever heard that? Okay. 
Like you were like, okay, I'm going to do this thing and then – there was a couple of things I kind of thought of ahead of time as like landing points. Yeah. I was like, all right, I should probably get to this thing that I've been working out or like messing with. Um, and then others were really not – $50 Chevy was like we just did whatever, you know. And then after the fact, I kind of picked out a couple of sections that I thought really had to make the record. Um, that That was like – no, well, actually, no. That's a lie. There's some. I start playing like uh, taps, like that, yes. da, 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 like Americana shit, and and that was like that's a, a always a Chevy, right? Yeah, yeah, that was a landing point for me with that. I was like, all right, by chorus four, I need to get there. With pre-production, it was always like, how long are the solos? Yeah, that really helped me a lot because live a lot of I, I'm, it's I'm open. It's free. It's open, and then I listen back, and I'm like, "Wow, it sounds cool," but it's ten minutes. You know, that's too much. <laughs> so, so like doing pre-production with John, he was just like, "All right, four choruses on this one, three choruses on this one," and like that really helped me of being like, "All right, what." It helped me shape the solo. Yeah, yeah. It gave me direction because you had been por- performing this material for. A- year or two or something yeah Yeah. like uh it was about it was about a year a year before we went to the studio and we played probably gigs at least once a month yeah so and this will be out this podcast will be out the gig is march 20 march 23rd 8 30 p.m uh rockwood stage two uh the cool thing about this show is that it's gonna be uh the live band that We've done a bunch of times, you know, me, Tony Mason on drums, Chris Anderson on bass, John Aravagon on tenor, and um, but this time we actually got a string quartet. You got the for. strings. We got it, and we miraculously lined up the rehearsal. <laughs> Getting eight people in New York City to line up. Oh my god, schedules is like ridiculous. It was amazing. Is it Melissa Tong? Melissa's on the record, but she unfortunately has something going on that day. So I have a bunch of other people. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, it's all good. I just know Melissa, and she's just she's the sweetest. She's just like the violent. Like, who do you who are you gonna get? Oh, you get Melissa. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, totally. There's other people, but Nikki. So I'm checking out your record. You text me the link. <laughs> yes, <clears throat> and uh, I feel like I had a moment. I wanted to just share this story. One time, Nikki, Nikki has a cool black Subaru. You were driving me <laughs> by your house. I don't even remember what we were doing, but I remember this story. I really like this. And you, um, we pull out of your house and we're driving on this other road and we're just driving. It was quiet for a second and Nikki was just like, he looks at me, he's like, I like this road. This is a good road. This is a peaceful road. I like the vibe of this road. And I thought that was like such a unique thing to say. It really stuck with me. You know what I mean? I was just like, he likes this road. I wonder why he likes this road. You know, because every time I'm by that road, do you remember this road? Or this I have moment? no idea. I don't remember it's, saying It's like that. the road that's, is that the brain? The one way the Were we like going to Chris Anderson's house or some shit. We might going to or from the school or to the city. It's like one of those roads that it almost feels like a service road, but it's like very wooded and forestry. By your, it's not far from your house. It was no just idea. such a funny comment. I just really stuck <laughs> with me, and I was like, "Well, you know, I don't know if I've ever been on a road and thought I really like this road." That's you know, funny. 
So I'm. You text me the link to your. I record. was probably just so uncomfortable with whatever silence was going on. I was like, oh, God, I gotta <laughs> say something. I'm gonna talk. I like this road. This is a peaceful road. I like this. I, I really thought that was like a unique statement. I was like, yeah, he finds peace in this road. That's good. One of my favorite roads. Like I don't know why, but I just like the structure of Manhattan and. Maybe the first night I came down to Manhattan, I stayed out all night in Battery Park and was just so excited to be in New York City as a young man yeah. in Battery Park. And then a few years later, I discovered the Battery Park underpass, right? Right. For those of you who don't drive in New York City, it connects the FDR to the West Side Highway. And all of a sudden, you're underneath the city. I fucking – I don't it's know cool. why, but I love it. It's cool. And that's a road that really connects with me for some reason, <laughs> right? So I'm driving – from, you know, the east side to the west side, I'm listening to your record, and au pair came on. <laughs> right? I'm in the <laughs> – and, and I was on a road I really like. And for some reason, it was like this cosmic moment for me. I was like, I'm in this road I really like uh, with Nikki's song, au pair. And I really like this song, and I like this concept of au pair. I don't know. To me, this is, this is the most re- absurd story you've probably ever heard. That's awesome. Thank you. I was like, I'm listening to au pair. And I always, I always like – I like when you talk about au pair <laughs> on stage because, you know, I'm just a heterosexual dude. You know what I mean? So, like, I'm like, oh, au pair. There's something so sexy about the concept of an au sure. pair. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, it's a French word. and Yeah, exactly. And, and uh, I don't – I guess I've met some au pairs. What does it even mean? It's it's not even a program. It just means like you're European They're, and you're being fancy? Yeah. Or is it like an actual program? I don't oh, even know like, what the hell – I like know what an thing. But is it, it's not it's like, like you're a nanny for for whomever. But you're you're like it's like you're an exchange student, I guess. I mean, you guys could Wikipedia this shit. Come it's on. a wor- <laughs> <laughs> It's a working. Uh, it's a working relationship with a European. Yeah. Is it always a woman? Uh, I don't know. I've I never met any. You've never gotten the grilling on what the hell an au pair is. I, I, yeah, I haven't done the market <laughs> research. I mean, the reason. <laughs> The reason it's called Au Pair is because, like, I literally wrote the song and, like, instantly on Tinder, like, matched with an Au Pair. Like, as soon as I, I swear, as soon as I charted this tune out, yeah. it was like, bing, 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 phone, match. Oh, I'm an Au Pair. And I was like, this song is going to be called Au Pair. Like, it has to be. <laughs> I literally just finished charting this thing out and this yeah. happened. You know, and a lot of my tunes are like that. It's like things that happen in my life. At the same time I wrote it, I'm just like, well, I'm going to project that thing onto this onto sound. this piece of music. Yeah. You know, so that's that's kind of where that came from. That's funny. And you have the drum box, and that's like the introduction yep. of the string quartet on the record. I'm yeah, that sure. was Sam Manai. Sam Manai is an amazing musician and, and, and bassist, and, 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 but also a mixing engineer and mastering engineer. He's a beast. Whoa. Uh, yeah, he's like... He's like Jared Lipitor's buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. He played with Pilk, um, but we used his drum machine. It was like some Roland analog, like thing. from the eighties. Yeah, some like or maybe maybe even late seventies. It's like the sound. It's like we know the sound. You hear it, and you're like, oh, I know that machine. Yeah, yeah. it's like a TR seventy seven, I guess, or like you know, it's one of those kind of things. It, it was like more simple uh, box than a TR seventy seven, but. You know, I kind of just wanted that vibe. I heard it as very like 
it was like fake fancy the song you know supposed <laughs> you know with the strings playing fake like fancy you were playing this kind of like i don't know the melody reminded me of like uh uh like bolero almost or mm, something like that yeah um but yeah so i wanted it to be very like prim and proper so the drum machine thing was like something I had in my head since I wrote it. I was like, all right, cool. And and then we put the strings on top of that. And then like in the B section, the band comes in and the drum machine comes out. Yeah. No, that's cool. That's good. That's a good story. I like that. I like that this fateful au pair <laughs> is saved forever yeah. in your song, you know? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and then, so are you a Vonnegut head? Are you way into Kurt Vonnegut? I have like I read Slaughterhouse Five, and uh, I read. I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm 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 this way with books." It's like, "Oh yeah, I, I read one book, and I'm like, I'm gonna read all this author's books, mm. and then I read two, and I'm like, I'm done." You know, <laughs> <laughs> I got the point. Of um, so I read that, and then I went to the library, and the only Vonnegut thing they had. <clears throat> Was um, after Slaughterhouse this, Five, you're like, I'm going to check out more. Yeah, Vonnegut. the only thing they happened to have was like this collection of unpublished short stories. Really? Yeah, and I was like, all right, I guess you know, I'm not making another. Trip what is to the name different... of this collection? I don't even know. I I don't remember. Okay, okay. I could find it right now. Well, that's okay. It's on my Instagram. Oh, it's on your Instagram. There you go. But anyway, whatever. I'm not going to look. So. um I remember reading like the first few of them and being like, all right, that, that one was cool. That one was cool. And then I read one that just like, it was just like really boring. I, I don't know. I didn't really like it. Um, and, and then I would, the, the beginning of it said $50 Chevy or something. It was like, there was a $50 Chevy in the yard. And then I was like, all right, well, that's kind of like a cool phrase i'm gonna like write that down and like keep that mm -hmm. and then you know when i wrote the song i was like all right the song is like the song is like Thelonious monk it's like really demented and like twisted and like behind the beat and whatever so i kind of went back and was like all right what song title fits this i'm like 50 chevy the thing could like barely drive down the road it's like all <laughs> dilapidated so and then I was like, all right, well, how did I come up with that title? It was from this book. And then I was like, what's, like, something funny I could say about this book? I was like, yeah, the short story of this phrase came from kind of sucked. <laughs> so I – but instead of saying it bluntly like that, you know, I'm not – yeah. You know, I mean, instead of saying it like that, I was just like, all right, well, this next one's called $50 Chevy and – I lifted the title from a Kurt Vonnegut short story, and it was an unpublished short story. And I don't know. I think they're unpublished for a reason. And like, just leave it at it that. It just worked. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. That's so funny. I uh, the summer between my freshman and sophomore years, I got a summer internship job where it was half in the morning. I would clean toilets and change bed sheets at a bed and breakfast. <laughs> And then in the afternoons, which I thought to my like 19-year-old brain would be cool, I was an assistant symphony librarian. Oh, wow. That sounds cool to my 27-year-old brain now. <laughs> yeah, no, I was like, <laughs> this is cool. This is great. <clears throat> but really, you know, being a 
little did I know that being an assistant symphony librarian is just making photocopies all day. Mm. And it was, of course. yeah, it was, I was like, I remember like one week into the job, I was like, what the F did I get myself into? <laughs> and it was <clears throat> removed away. It was like this weird summer institution. So I didn't, I was around no friends, but the owner of the bread and breakfast, this couple, the man had like every Kurt Vonnegut book. He was oh. obsessed with it. So that summer, I just basically smoked weed and read <laughs> almost every Kurt Vonnegut book. Wow. And there's something about just dudes in our relationship to Kurt Vonnegut and his uh, ability to tell these, like, hilarious stories. Like, what a thinker and a fascinating yeah, totally. I dude. Mean, so I, I like, I'm always excited by any Kurt Vonnegut Yeah, record. sure. And I, I, I guess to expand on that, like, you know, the music... On my record, like it has a lot of like kind of like film noir kind of vibes, I guess. I guess that's what I was going for. Yeah. I was really into the idea of like each song is a story and a character and like it might work for film or, or like that kind of thing. And um, some of the tunes just like remind like the characters were more about like space or like whatever. So like or like. Wife of a Secret Agent is very like that's what I was going to fifties kind of stuff, Bond kind of stuff, spy. So music. like that spy and like, but like sci-fi kind of thing too, like really related to the music. I thought, mm-hmm. and I guess I don't know if that translates at all, but like that was kind of in my head when I was working on this record. So I was like, yeah, Vonnegut, that's like someone good to bring up. Kind of like projects this like era in somebody's mind. Yes, yeah, you know. Yeah. And if they're like thinking about Vonnegut and then hear this song, then like, cool. That's like a good experience for someone that makes sense to me. Because oh, he has these wacky characters and these wacky time jumping premises. Yeah, where, like, I don't yeah, even all know that stuff. Time, yeah, yeah. So, so cool. It is cool. And that's cool. I like any Vonnegut reference. So that's why. Yeah, it's my own story to that. No, that's great. That's awesome. Uh, what about part of the earth? <laughs> part of the earth. Almost yeah. in a way, you know, when I'm listening to this record, I thought it was like Wife of a Secret Angel, like part two. Like, it's cool that you put them together. And they do go together. That's funny. The, I don't know how much you... I'm sure you thought a lot about the order of the album, but in my mind, or- I was like, I wonder if these... It's like a two-part series. Like. So with with my stuff, like song titles come very easy to me because mm-hmm. I just don't question them. And I'm just like, all right, that came up in my head. That's going to be the song. I don't care. You know, it's like that. <laughs> um, also, I have a Word document of like 50 billion song titles. And if I write something and nothing immediately comes to mind, I just go on this document and look and see if anything fits. So that that part always came easy to me. The stuff that doesn't come easy to me is... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. So you have a Word document of just song titles? Yeah. It's oh, my God. I bet it's hilarious. There's some cool shit. Some of them I'm like... I And I I visit it every couple months, and I'm just like, yeah, I don't like this. So do, are you constantly adding to it, though? Yeah. How many Always. times a day? Oh, no. I'll go, like, months without adding something. Oh, okay. All right. That's interesting. That's unique. So I guess I'm not constantly adding to it. But I guess, like, every... You're like, sometimes I might post You hear a phrase or you're a sentence or a... Yeah. Something that perks your interest and you're like, I'm going to put this in my song title. Yep. Exactly. That's cool. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, I just like... Yeah. It's... it's, It entertains me. Yeah. (laughs) It's like a game for yourself. It's like... 
I'm really into like wordplay and all that kind of stuff. I'm Even talking if about, it's like silly. It's just I'm sure. I yeah. like silliness too. I yeah, mean, that definitely translates in the record. Yeah, that's why. The, yeah. Um, but anyway, part of the earth. Sorry, I just had to no, ask that you that's have a, a great whole, question. Uh, <laughs> document of just song titles. It's awesome. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Um, I'm sure it's just, but it's like it's it's my equivalent of like what you do. Like you have a lyric book. You know, yeah. you, you have, like, lyrics that are, like, drafts or unworked out, you know, but I write instrumental music, so that's, I guess that's my equivalent. Um, but, it, so, before I get to Part of the Earth, you asked about order of the tunes on yeah. the record. That, to me, was, like, such a nightmare to come up with. I really, I really struggled with that for a long time, and... Also, the album name I struggled with for a long time, too. I had no idea what I wanted to call it. Yeah. Um, I decided on the order. I made, like, again, Microsoft Word, Word document of, like, every possible combination of, like, all these songs. <laughs> Did you really? Interesting. Yeah, and I, like, listed reasons. I'm like, all right, well, this one, like, the fourth song in is, like, this, and and but the fifth song in is kind of like that too. So maybe this one is no good. And like, I would kind of eliminate ones like that. And then I narrowed it down to like three. And then like, I went and had beers with my brother and was like, well, all right, what do you think? And then we kind of just figured it out together. Yeah. Was it um, one of the lists you had or was he just yeah. like, yeah, this one's good. Yeah. We, we picked from there, but, um, and then the title of the song, I th- uh, the title of the record was like, you know, once I decided on the order, I was like, all right, well, you know, I can't, I couldn't think of a name that I thought encompassed the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I had ideas I wasn't crazy about. And then I was like, I, I read something. It was like, call, you know, use the album title to call attention to a tune. I was like, that's interesting. Let me, let me think about that. And I kind of went through each song and I was like, you know, every day is a bad hair day. It wound up being like very later on the record. And it's like, it's one of my favorites on the record. Like mm-hmm. it, that's, so I wanted to call attention to it. So that's pretty much why. And I thought it kind of fit like the humor of the yeah, yeah. record. And like, yeah, this is like you know, tongue in cheek, whatever. So that's why I went with that. But anyway, part of the earth. Part of the earth. <laughs> what do you want to know about that one? Well, no, no, no. I, I, I think what I was saying is like it, it's. I thought it was cool that. Wife of a Secret Agent and Part of the Earth were next to each other because they, when I was just listening to it, it felt like part one and part two of a. Wow, interesting. Of a of a thing like that's cool. Because you're saying, what if your spouse was out there saving the world, and then you have a song about the Earth? So Damn. maybe you put it in my head that wow, I was I like, never thought of is that. this the journey of this is the two characters of the? Wow, that's actually that's how I thought about it. Wow, I was thank like, you. this is the home life. This I don't know. No, that's amazing. I never thought because I've, like I said, with the ordering of the tracks I, and and all this stuff, I've, I feel like I've thought about this stuff like forwards, backwards, every, every possible angle, yeah. way. But I've never thought of that. So that's amazing. Thank you. I don't know. You put it in my oh, head. Nice. So when I was listening to it, I was like, oh, you know, maybe this is just part. Oh, know. thanks. That's that's amazing that you thought of that. Really cool. <laughs> um. I both of those tunes were probably written around the same time. Mm-hmm. They were both written as solo guitar pieces initially. Um, Part of the Earth was the one that we kind of had the most fun with in regards to switching it over from a solo guitar piece 
to a band a full piece. band piece you know so as a solo guitar piece it was like a ballad it was like very slow the whole time and just like you know kind of like secret agent but secret agent i don't think to me sounds like a straight up ballad anymore um but anyway um part of the earth i was like all right like i, I don't know what to do with this thing like you know, it, there's like different sections on it, and like I wrote it out, and I was like, "All right, it goes to like these two chords for two random bars, and then it goes back to like the beginning theme, and then it goes into this other section that has like nothing to do with anything else." Yeah. But like me playing it in the same way, I was like, "All right, it still feels like a cohesive piece." But when I showed it to John, John was like, "Dude, this is like some John Zorn shit." Like you go. You start in this thing and then you go to these two bars randomly, like for no reason. Then you go back and then you go to something different. Like what? He's like, you have to do like different grooves on each of those sections. I was like, really? And he's like, yeah. So we tried it that way. We tried it like the first section is like, I guess, Bolero-ish. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm so bad with like naming the authentic groove. Yeah, <laughs> the thing is, yeah. I'm like, you know, it's like one of these things and I like sing the part. Um, and then it goes to like, country like shuffles swung eighths for like two measures only and then it goes back to the bolero thing and then it goes to like like middle school rock you know it's like supposed to be like silly and over the top um but that's that's the one that we really and we we did it live and it took a while to kind of get the transitions to feel good and to enhance that i tried to like use a different pickup on the guitar for each of the sections like the country section was the bridge pickup, the bolero thing was like the middle pickup, and then the surf rock thing. I guess that was the bridge pickup too. But yeah, it was all like different sounds on the <laughs> yeah on the so. you're changing the timbre and stuff. Yeah. So, but that that's how that tune came about. It was kind of like a solo thing that I was like, oh, it doesn't go anywhere. Like, what do I do with this? And then we were just like, all right, let's radically shift and in each of these very short sections, and it became a thing. Yeah. Which is, it's that's it's cool to hear you talking about it after listening to it. Where I didn't know this of stuff, of course. Well, thank you. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> now, my brain is slowed down because I'm like, huh, oh, that's <laughs> interesting. I'm really now. I'm like thinking back to the track. Well, then we get to, dude. So. Do you love ABBA? Is that what <laughs> I love? ABBA. I love disco. I mean, I have like an ear candy playlist on Spotify that I just like nerd out to it, like, and it has like yacht rock and disco on it. I just love that stuff. I, I really love, I love Bee Gees. I love ABBA. I love Michael McDonald. You know, like all yeah. that stuff to me is just like hilarious and fun. I love the Grease soundtrack. You know, like all that stuff. I, I, I just, yeah. it just has like a. I don't know. I just, I just really like it. So, you know, I heard Dancing Queen one day, and I was just like, man, like, what a fucking perfect song. What a perfect done. Like, there's, like, there's nothing wrong with that. So song simple, at but all. so perfect. Yeah. Uh, like the, the the harmony on it is like amazing, and like the concept, the groove, the the piano parts, the string arrangement, like everything. And I mean, I. You don't need me to say that. Like, it's yeah. one of the greatest pop songs of all time. <laughs> so I was just like, so I was like, how do I 
do that on guitar. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, it was like a problem for your brain. Yeah, exactly. I was just like, how do I arrange that for guitar? You know, I didn't do it as like a, I want to play this with my band thing. I was just like, I need to be able to replicate this, like, because of like this primal need. Mm. And, and I figured out like how to basically get most of the string parts and like some of the more like the synth parts, like, and, and just like, I tried to learn as much of the tune as possible. With, like, like, the bendy telly thing, like, with holding down notes and, like, bending others, like, that whole thing. And then I was just like, I should just do this live at the end of the set just to be like, all right, you might know this one, goodbye. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, and, of course, it's like, it's, you know, like, the whole thing of, it's just something that somebody knows. The people will know and, and, and be like, oh, yeah, he played Dancing Queen. That's kind of fun. Yeah. Like, that kind of thing. <laughs> it's just like, it was supposed to be just, like, a little souvenir of like yeah you came to a Nicky Barbado show you get to hear Dancing, Dancing Queen, Queen. yeah but uh yeah so it wound up on the record we we worked on we worked on a lot of different grooves for it and you know we were we were afraid it was going to be like two wedding band kind of but like I don't know I it didn't turn out that way I don't think and yeah we just kind of kept it as is Whereas the other cover, Norwegian Wood, like we changed quite a, quite a bit. Yeah, but I I wanted Dancing Queen at the end of the record, and I wanted it to be just kind of straight ahead, just fun. Yeah, fun, and the guitar solo was like really silly on it too. You know, <laughs> like that's just that's what I wanted. That's just the vibe. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's great, and it's. I mean, talk about ear can earworm. You hear that tune, and then ten minutes later, you're washing a dish. And you're like, oh my god! Yeah. You're like, what the? But it's just—it's <laughs> got that. There's some magic in that song, like yeah, those songs that just earworm in and never leave. You know, I, so. They're so catchy. So you must just always be singing that song because you. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> it's I your know. theme song to life. Yeah, because <laughs> you got that inside of it. You know what? When you get so inside of a piece of music, you're like, yeah. It will never leave my soul. Yeah, you get, like, the background horn line stuck in your head, and you're just like, oh, God, like, what am I doing? Fucking dancing, Queen. Yeah. That's <laughs> so funny, man. Yeah, that, uh, I love that tune. And did you made the CD. This is awesome, man. Yeah, that's... Your Shervin s- picture? Your famous Shervin picture? My first <laughs> famous Shervin picture, yes. Um, Shervin did the photo for that. And was um, he just Sarah casually Snow. talking to you? Yeah, this is the most relaxed I think we were thing talk- you've ever done. We were talking about when 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 I did a Shervin photo shoot. I think the whole time we were talking about like f- our favorite snacks. We were just like, yeah, chips, you know, guac, sour cream. Say his hummus. last name out loud. No, we can't. I don't know it either. Shervin. Nigga was like, no, Lenez. I want to say Lenez. Lenez. He's just Shervin. Everybody knows about Shervin. Shervin. And he just, he's the got to be the most famous photographer in our little world. And then he became, what, Sarah Bareilles is. Yep. And um, who's the other piano? The Russian piano woman, Regina Spector. Mm. And then and then he just, St. Vincent. He does a photo shoot with everybody. Saint, Khaki yeah, right. King. Yeah. Remember that photo shoot? Yeah. So he shoots everybody's pictures. And <clears throat> I, I was in a couple photo shoots with him. And he just comes with like a backpack and a camera. Very simple setup. 
And so uh, you do other photo shoots where it's like lighting and all this, blah, blah, blah. But his whole thing is hilarious because you're so relaxed. I think yeah. that's part of the magic. This this face, I mean, like he sees <laughs> the best angle of your face. Yeah. And he catches you. And you're probably in this picture literally being like, yeah, sour cream, guacamole. Yeah, exactly. That's li- like when I did yeah, a photo sure. shoot with him, he was talking about we were talking about like aliens attacking and what our like <laughs> escape plans would be. You know what I mean? That's funny. He's got a magic. He does have That's a magic cool. to him. So yeah, no, I liked working with him a lot, and and I liked the. Uh, I use his photos all the time. He's he's amazing. Yeah, he is amazing. But yeah, the the album artwork is is Sarah Snow too. That needs to be is she, known. Is she like a famous? Ah, uh, she works. I forget graphic the, designer. Kind yeah, of. she's she's awesome. I I forget the name of her company, but she's done. She did all the Salcedo Latin Soul stuff. Oh yeah, I, I heard her. I heard about her through Ethan Eubanks, and she's done a lot of work for him too. So she she's great. gets the Clippers. She has the Clippers in the artwork. I'm holding this yeah. up. You guys can't see it. I can see it. You should. She had a blast with the album artwork, according to her. She could be lying, but no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know those gigs. This is so fun. I'm looking forward. This is so oh, God. great. Kill I love this. No, they are, though, because you're probably a mellow dude, and you were just happy and, like, have fun. Be yeah. creative. I, yeah, exactly. Because this is maybe not what I do. I, I feel like with visual people, I'm, the, I'm like, what? You tell me. What are you, what are you seeing? Yeah. That's cool. That's cooler than I could have thought of. You know, I think that's important is to kind of just let people do their thing. And, yeah. and I mean, just to bring it back to the, the music, it's like I do that with my band too. You know, like I, I'm really – I'm not – I don't like to think – I mean I'm calling the shots, but I don't think I'm draconian. <laughs> yeah. You know, like with Tony and, and Chris, they're so cool about being like, can we try it this way? And I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah. Let's try it that way. And most of the time, it's it's better than what I had in mind. So, you know, the the band. There's what a about good Mr. Amount. Anderson then? Mr. And that was all Chris. He was so just like, Mr. Hey, Anderson is like a solo bass piece, and it comes. It was act. It actually stemmed from. Um, I used to have Chris do like a bass, like a techie pedal, like uh, you know what are they? What's that pedal? The electroharmonics freeze. We like play a note. It's like a sustained pedal super on Super ego or something. Yeah, yeah. I think that's actually what he uses. Um, but he was doing an intro on on that tune, Blues Chip, and I was just like, "Yeah, all right, we're gonna do that on the record." But like, I don't know what the order of the tunes is gonna be. So then, of course, Blues Chip wound up being the first tune. I was like, "I can't start this solo. <laughs> I can't start this record with a bass intro." You so know? he recorded all that, and then you made it its own track. Yeah, kind so, of. and also we were just kind of like messing around and, and cause, you know, me and Chris are really good friends. We we just hang. Um, and he was just like, yeah, we should record the intro to Blues Chip as its own track, but like don't make it before <laughs> Blues Chip. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do like Blues Chip as track three and like intro to Blues Chip as track seven, just to fuck with people. Yeah, yeah, just to be um, hilarious. And, and um, but yeah, so he was like, he came up with it, and I was like, "You got," and and he just did it in the studio, and and I think, I think it was the first take that that we kept, and you know, I was gonna call it "Intro to Blues Chip," and then I was just like, "Ah, it's really good." Like it reminded me of like Pink Floyd, and like David Gilmore. I really liked it. 
I like the way he uses effects and it like it had like two distinct parts for me. I was like, wow, it's like a really it's a piece now. It's not just like an intro. Yeah. So I was like, it needs a name, and I was like, Chris, you got a name? Like, and he's like, no, call it whatever you want. So I, I was thinking of the Matrix, and I was like, all right, we're gonna call it Mister Anderson, you know? So it was like my Matrix reference. Yeah, no, it's great, and um, I love it, and it is a beautiful. And he has piece. writing credit, like it's his. It's completely his. It has nothing to do with me. So like, I even registered the song to him when I did all the copywriting yeah stuff. yeah that's great on his no, uh, ASCAP or BMI or yeah. CSAC account or whatever yeah mm-hmm. but uh oh that's yeah, fucking cool. funny dude yeah it's funny it's funny cause yes we're both dear friends with Chris and he's such a ham sandwich you know what I mean <laughs> like so I I remember like this is a real Anderson Balls move he fucking <laughs> names the song himself and it's written by him oh, that was but new. now that I know the story cause I was like <laughs> Only Chris could get away with this. I should have known that you named it. You know what I mean? I never, I never thought of that. Where like, I wrote a song for you. The song it's called "Me." It's it's like it's like some uh, Jay Z shit. You know what I mean? Like it'd be like (laughs) talking in third person. Yeah, like here's like some of Jay Z's earlier records. It's all of his songs are just different. It took me a minute as a young. Listener be like, wait, who the hell is Hova? Oh, that's him. <laughs> or who's Jigaman? Wait, that's him again. So he's right. oh, he's got like twenty different nicknames right. where he's self referential. It's amazing. I love that shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it actually, to me, I was like, this is mad hip hop. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> here's a piece by the bass player awesome. Chris Anderson. It's called Mister Anderson. <laughs> but yeah, so our mind, of course, thinks of the um, the Matrix reference too (laughs) which is great because it is kind of fucking sci-fi futuristic like i could do you could probably do like a yoga class to that track on loop (laughs) or like a meditation class or something you know what i mean that's awesome yeah i mean that's that's why that's what chris was doing when he wrote yoga and you guys were just laughing at him like (sighs) (laughs) nice work no he does beautiful work with the pedals (laughs) so then what tell us then after your Tell us about the first record then. Why is it called 1953? Oh, that's a good story. So, thanks for asking. Um, the first record is pre Nikki Barbado project. It's just a solo thing. And um, there's no original music on it. But I, I wrote, when I was recording that, it was kind of the same time I was writing some of the tunes for the new record coming out. Um, the solo thing is, um, it's all covers. It's all like my arrangements of standards. So like there's a there's a Thelonious Monk tune on it, Ask Me Now, there's a Beatles tune on it, This Boy. Um I did Love and Marriage on it, which I just thought fit the guitar sound really well. Um I do that Clapton uh song Change the World as like a Chet Atkins kind of thing. And then I did Pure Imagination as like it was like Jimi Hendrix meets you know, the the bendy telly thing meets, like, George Benson solo guitar thing. Like, I actually played a pick on that one. But anyway, um, the record's called 1953 because on 9A, right by Lagonde, there's a – there was a sign that said 1953. And, and, like, that's the album cover. And it was like – I was like – I drove by that sign for like my whole life. I was like, this sign is fucking weird. (laughs) Like, 
Why does it say 1953? Yeah, yeah. I've never seen that font on a sign before around here. Like, what is this? So I had an idea for an album name and, and a concept, and it just kind of like wasn't material materializing. So I drove by that thing one day. I was like, I'm just going to make that the album cover. That thing is like weird and, and, and strange. And so there's something about it. So I like ran across, across the street with like a point and shoot camera and just like took a picture of it. And like, then I had my friend, uh, Adam Molbaum who works for, works for BMG. Um, he did, um, he just like put a filter on it and like edited it, but like very minimal It's basically point and shoot camera shot. Mm-hmm. I swear to you, the next day, I drove by the sign. Keep in mind, the sign was there for like 25 years. For years, The sign was gone the next day. What? How weird is that? I swear, I'm not even making that up. I was like, what the fuck? I was like, now that has to be the album cover. Yeah. Because that's like creepy. I was hoping that you would like steal the sign. I, I was hoping that the story would end. So yeah, we went in the <laughs> middle of the night. Me and my homies in high school, all, we that was like, well, I grew up in the woods, and when you metropolitan people are like, "What do you do up there?" It's like I just like, "Oh, do the same shit you guys do," but secretly I'm like, "We steal something." <laughs> <tonight." laughs> like get drunk and go. No, steal that's the sign. cool. I was hoping that was end. It was gonna be, so I stole this sign. And I have it in my basement, 1953. Yeah, I wish. I mean, I'm not as cool as you. Um, I don't. I was thinking it was like a gear reference, like your uh, well, delay okay, that's fifty three, or in the way you started this with the telly, yeah. Which that was a great intro. I actually did think of that. I was like, all right, well, fifty three was kind of like it wasn't the first year of the Telecaster or like whatever, but like it kind of was relevant. So it's a hundred percent relevant. Yeah. So I was like, all right, that that fits too, and it was also just like. I don't know. I, I like the idea of, like, the title was in the photo. I didn't have to, like, write the title somewhere else. There's, like, so many famous records that do that. And yeah. I've always liked That's that. That's cool. So that that was that was why I kept it. But I just thought it was creepy. My, my sick fantasy is that, like, one of my students or fans stole it after they realized, like, oh, this is going on Nikki's record. But, like, you know, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just stroking my ego over here. That's a good story, man. It's crazy. I know. That is crazy. Sign was there forever. And the sign on the record, it looks like like an old metal sign, but it's not. It's like it was like a foam. It was the sign was definitely like post it was like made in the eighties or something. You know, mm. or the nineties or whatever. It wasn't an old sign. It just looked old. So like that was also kind of cool about it too. I was like, why is this styrofoam sign? That, that looks like because yeah, really it does old. look like just a typical steel, yeah, like your typical street sign. Yeah, yeah. that's weird. That's interesting. It was like reflective, you know, it and it had like, been there through your whole childhood. Like yeah, you, just I always it's just always a part of your it. the fabric of your existence. Yep. Like it was just there. Yep, always there. That's since, wild. Since dude. I was in high school or whatever, and you are the youngest person to appear on Secret Famous. Really. And young, that's awesome. I'm I'm really honored. Well, you should Thank be you. honored. Well, you should you should be honored. No, because like yo- younger, hungry people are like, hey man, I want to do your podcast, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm like, you're a baby. Yeah, yeah. you don't have any good stories. You haven't lived. Like, oh, I think yeah. I. I, I mean, when I talk to so many people, that's how I feel. I'm just like, damn, I haven't lived. Jeez. 
I think, like, you and I both know we get to hang around, like, old, cool musicians, and they just have so many ridiculous stories, a reserve, a wealth of stories, you know? It's it's really amazing. And and a lot of times I feel, you know, as I'm, like, like I said before, I'm 27, and... A lot of times I feel caught between age, like yeah. generations. I'm just like, well, most of my friends are 35 and they're like married and they're having kids now. <laughs> you know, yes. people, I'm just like, I'm like, yeah, that's kind of interesting. But like that shift occurred. Like when I left school and like moved to New York and like got into the scene, I was like, yeah, I'm kind of young. Everyone keeps telling me I'm young. Um, but you're an old soul, I think. You know what I mean? Like I never yeah. – Definitely. I've never, even when you were a high school student, I never was like, oh, this fucking obnoxious <laughs> kid. You know what I mean? I, you, you, yeah. you know, like you well, thank were. thank you for recognizing So you've me. always been an old soul. Definitely. Definitely. Even when. I mean, I've, I like grew up with like, I was a Beatles snob when I was in second grade. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Yeah. So here's a this cool story. Been, yeah, here's yeah. like the, enough talking about the record. Let's talk about like the humanistic elements of so when i was in second grade there was that uh beatles compilation cd called beatles one that was like always being advertised on beatles one the red cover red with yellow yep Yep. and there was like 20 something tracks on it and there was an infomercial that was on all the time when i was a kid and watching tv and i was just like the beatles suck mom they suck they sound terrible they talk about walruses and the songs what silly crap and my mom and my dad kind of just like looked at each other and then looked at me and then like the next day i had like magical mystery tour and they were like you have to listen to this and i was like whoa i could actually hear the words that they're saying because i remember like before that i was listening to like britney spears and backstreet boys and like whatever was on the radio yeah, yeah as a second grader as a I, yeah second grade to even be and, aware of music as a second grader is impressive i mean i i didn't really know much about it but i just knew like the beatles were a thing Mm. and and my parents were like check this out and then i just got obsessed with it and like became a snob about it that i only wanted to listen to the beatles at that age i was just like i don't want to listen to anything else and i had a friend down the street and like every couple months maybe every month we would buy a new cd like not in chronological order or like nothing like that um, and we would just like listen to it. I'm like, oh yeah, what do you think of Revolver? And we'd like nerd out about Revolver. I like this song. I like that song. You know. And then, all right, let's do Rubber Soul next time. Like totally not in chronological order. Um, but yeah, so that's how I got really into music was through listening to the you Beatles. Found your young. music geeked them so young then, yeah. I but like ugh, it's crazy because like I. The Beatles are still my favorite band. I mean, like, they're the, you know, they're the greatest, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But, like, I still, I, there's there's music that you have in your life that you're like, yeah, that's amazing, that's great and from a historical standpoint, but I don't revisit it often. Like, I'm constantly revisiting the Beatles. I'm always listening to it. Um, Not like that, yeah, whatever. They're, they're the best. That, that should go without saying, but... um. But yeah, so then then when I was a little older, my parents were just like, how about Paul McCartney's solo career? Can you give that a chance maybe? And I was like, eh, all right. 
And then, like, I got into that a little bit. And then, like, how about the Rolling Stones? Maybe, like, a little edgier. The Stones came later for you, yeah. Yeah. So, like, but it all stemmed from the Beatles. And then me being just, like, a total, me just being stubborn and being like, I only want to listen to this. And then my parents were like, eh, check this out, too. And, and try this. And then try this. So, I guess that that might be where the whole old soul thing it started from. started with the Beatles, yeah. You know? So, I don't know. That, so... In conclusion, though, do you like the Beatles' number one record? That whatever that record's called, one. I don't even remember it because, like, I because it's basically I don't think I ever oh, got it's, it. it's all the number ones. Yeah, that's right. And they, I'm pretty sure that record is like in um, it's in chronological, chronological order. Yeah. yeah. So it's funny because I don't think I ever got it. I think my parents bought me. I did, I vividly remember they, they were very Magical Mystery educating Tour. educating you, yeah, via the record. Yeah. yeah, and so I got Magical Mystery Tour, and then next might have been Abbey Road, and then... That's my favorite. Me, me too. Yeah. That's definitely my favorite. And that then was one maybe, my mom had on record, so... Oh, nice. That's awesome. Um, but that's but yeah, funny, yeah. So. I, I, so, truth be told, I am not, like, a devout... Beatles. That's head. cool, man. Because all of you guys are so into it, so there's like this oh, counterculture totally. part of my Absolutely. my being where I'm always, man, what the yeah. all these people I'm but totally with you, man. Like when I there's was so much I, I'm a contrarian at heart, I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so like if someone's like really obsessed with something, I my instinct is just to be like, No, fuck you. You know, you know like, what? I don't want There's cooler shit out there, man. Like, you know, but, but that's just like my instinct. I, I my first roommate in college loved indie rock and he loved the strokes. Oh, and that's and, and I like them I now. Them. But at the time I I thought they were, were never like saying the love devil. the strokes. Yeah. I was like, eh. Yeah. It's just, cool. <laughs> I've heard the clash though, so you know, like <laughs> it's like Fair I've checked enough. out some other shit. Yeah, totally. that's funny. That's there's something about children in the Beatles. Absolutely, we both work with kids. I they can somehow always you can always find a particular Beatles song to lure them in in a way. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's it's funny you mentioned that the other the other day. One of my students at Lagan like just asked me. She was like, she was like. What's the deal with Yellow Submarine? How old is this student? She's in fifth grade, I want to say. Okay. She's like, what's the deal with Yellow Submarine? I was like, well, I was like very intrigued. I was like, what do you mean, what's the deal? She's like, it's such a stupid song. And I was like. <laughs> uh, pulls on the roof. Riggle, come down here and sing. Yeah, yeah. But I, and then I just like wound up going down this whole like Beatles history rabbit hole. And I think she like, you know, I, my goal wasn't to be like. The Beatles are good, and you must believe that the Beatles are good. It was just like context is everything. Like, why did they make this song? And I was just like, without being like they were dropping acid and doing this, like, <laughs> I tried to just be like they were silly and creative and fun, and like they were trying to do new things. So like this song came out out of that, you know. And at least she was like, you know, she she like kind of understood. She was like, oh, okay. That's what's the deal with it. I still don't like it. I was like, that is totally fine. Like, yeah, but in totally two weeks, fine. her mind will change. You Maybe. opened her. I don't know. Because it, it's it's like a thing. And I was trying to explain this. Well, we're always constantly trying to explain this. But like the historical time period where this art was taken in, what was going on. Yeah. It's hard to explain to kids. You're like, listen, at this time period of life this hadn't been done or this right this is this was cutting edge dude you yeah. know what i mean like this think about and it's and it's even 
wilder now because we have a whole crop of people coming up who have access to all of the music yeah. ever recorded. And you're telling a story about how, like, you know, you got one record and we got so into the record, you know, like whatever. My first two yeah, records were like Black times. Crows and Pearl Jam. And it's like I could – I can – Sing every guitar yeah. scratch. Well, that's and, amazing. You know, I know those two albums like inside and out. Like, just which albums? Shake your moneymaker and then verses. Oh, nice. That's awesome. So is it, it like they don't? They're not experiencing music in the same way. No, I don't think so. And then on top of it, you tell them to check out a record, and they go on Spotify, and the shit's not organized chronologically. It's organized by popularity. <laughs> And then they're like, wait a minute, I found this, like, compilation of this thing and this. It doesn't sound like what you're talking about. I was like, well, yeah, because you didn't find the right thing. But, you know, that's, that's like, a challenge as an educator. Like, how do you, how do you get them to sit down and kind of sit down and check it out? Yeah. And, like, also, how do you listen to it, too? You know, and, of course, there's, like, no right or wrong way, I, I guess. But it's, like, you want them to check out. You have to just be very specific. You have to say, like, listen for this. Mm. You know, give, like, guided listening kind of stuff. But Yeah, it's but true. you're right. It's totally different. It's just very different. Because I had a CD player, and half the time the thing wouldn't work. <laughs> so it was, like, it was like a miracle if I could get three songs in a row without it skipping. And, and you know, it's so funny because, like, we talk about oh, iPod headphones and laptop speakers the sound quality sucked. The sound quality on that CD player sucked. It was just as <laughs> bad. So it's not like I'm not trying to say like sucked. yeah we li- we listened to because it was a boombox with self contained speakers. Yeah, it was like it was like it was no low end really. Right. High end is all fucked up. It was yeah, like yeah. Fire Engine Red. It was yeah. it had like Superman on the side of it or something. No, that sound quality is horrible. But uh, yeah, it's just you're right. It's just totally different. And it relates to a discussion that Nikki and I have an ongoing discussion. I believe we were talking about how we're like fucking old dinosaurs tramping around the earth of <laughs> phones. You know what I mean? Like as a guitar player. The phone things. And this has been a discussion on on episodes of Secret Famous like with Caleb Holly. Mm-hmm. Did you listen to that one by chance? I did not. Don't worry about it. Where he just looks I at me to, and he – He's gotten so in, and he was a guitar head. Caleb mm-hmm. comes from guitar head, bro. Mm. Excellent guitar player, shredding guitar player. He's amazing, by the he's way. A, he's he's like, amazing talent. And then he's just like, "Do you even practice guitar anymore?" Because he got so into <laughs> production, right? And that he's gotten to a place where he can he's changed his priorities, mm. and he's like, "Do I pick up a guitar and feel sad? I can't do the shit." <laughs> I would literally feel sad because he kind of asked that in like a not condescending way, but mm. like a funny. I was like, oh, no, yeah, I, I still I still practice. I mean, <laughs> it's not the only thing I do. But I, and and I just play guitar. You know what I mean? Like, right. We learn tunes. It's it's not necessarily as much structured practice time. Sure. I digress. But oh, cool. I think it's what are your thoughts on us being uh you are truly an old soul. You're doing like a a record that isn't 
chopped and edited. There's not drum sounds on here. Drum replaced. Yeah. Beat detective. Melodyned. Fucking squeeze the uh, fucking whole soul <laughs> out of the shit. You know what I mean? Like, think of our friends who do production and it's like, sure. all the shit sounds the same, motherfucker. And it's like... <laughs> Like that's amazing. It's true though, right? I'm so sick of it. Can be true. watered down Ed Sheeran tracks, you know? Yeah, I mean, or whatever bullshit people who play the pop game, you know? Right? Yeah, You've my shit said, is so Fuck like you to that. Yeah. yeah, my shit has nothing to do with that. <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> so I was just like, I mean, even the title is like a reaction against that. Like, I feel like you go on Instagram, everyone has amazing hair. And I'm like, well, my hair sucks. Yeah, you know? like so, I'm just gonna like call the album that like it's like you know, yeah it's very reactionary but like i don't know i i like to think it's it's not stemming from a negative place yeah. it's stemming from a place like well let's be silly and have fun and, yeah and of course, like of check this shit out that's different um but i guess so are you asking me like why isn't it produced like that no more no i i love that it's not and more that i like i've liked some of your thoughts on uh, people keeping this this old ancient tradition of playing guitar alive. Yeah, it's so <laughs> instead fun. of I... fucking you know you midding it up or right. Obviously, everybody just does shitty guitar tracks and then fucking edits it up, which is cool. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like everybody's gonna get half good or even a quarter good at fucking four or five instruments and singing, including singing, <laughs> and then become their own little version of the Beatles, you know? Right. Yeah, I don't know. I, I was just always, like, a guitar player. So I, I was just like, you know, whatever music I'm going to come up with is going to be, like, really guitar-orientated. And I was just totally cool with that. Weren't you a trumpet player, too, though? <laughs> yeah, actually. I was a trumpet player when I was in, like, elementary school and stuff. And I liked it. I In fourth grade, I, I had this really amazing teacher, and he was, like, he was just... He, I think I liked just hanging with him more than I liked playing the trumpet. But, like, <laughs> he made trumpet amazing. And, like, I remember he was just like, you got to play When the Saints Go Marching In. Got to play When the Saints Go Marching In. And, like, he was just – this guy named Sal Irapoli. He was amazing. I mean, I've had so many amazing teachers. But, anyway, um, I played trumpet in fourth grade and was, like, really into it. And then – Kept doing it in middle school. Like my my interest in it kind of waned because like, you know, I was listening to music that wasn't very trumpet heavy. I wasn't listening to jazz or classical when I was in middle school. I was still listening to like Beatles. And, only the Beatles. Second only grade. The Beatles. To eighth grade. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. So one day it was like a summer camp thing. It was just like a normal day camp, and and my friend was like, "Yeah, I'm starting to play guitar." I was like, "Whoa, really?" He's like, yeah, I'm going to play guitar. I'm starting to work on Stairway to Heaven. Like, you know, all the classic guitar oh, stuff. And I was like, damn, like, that sounds exciting. And then, like, one of my other friends was like, yo, I just got a drum set. I was like, whoa, this is, like, a thing that's happening now. Like, people are starting to play music. Yeah. Um, and not just through school. It was, like, a thing they were doing. Outside their, of school. Yeah, it outside. Social it was a social thing, totally. Yeah. So I was like, oh, crap, I got to get a bass have to get a bass. I got to play bass. My friend plays guitar. My other f friend plays drums. Got to get a bass. Um, and get the fuck I out. remember all I did was like, I listened to Van. This was what I was listening to at that time. This is eighth grade. Apo this was eighth grade. Okay. 
I was listening to Appetite for Destruction. Fucking. And Van Halen yes. 1. Uh, yes. Both those records, like religiously. Love them. I listened, I think I listened to Appetite for Destruction like 40,000 times. <laughs> Yeah, like it probably has the most plays out of any record I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. Um, it was one of those records where I, I think I listened to it every summer between my years, or every summer during middle school. I listened to it constantly. So I was just like, "How am I going to play bass when I'm listening to Slash and Eddie Van Halen?" But so, did you get a bass? I did not get a bass. Oh, okay. okay. I just went straight to guitar. I was like, "I want to be Slash." Slash was my definitely my favorite. Yeah, and Van Halen was crazy. I didn't even realize how amazing Van Halen was. Yeah, was like, like you know, I'm still figuring that shit out. But yeah, I was just like, I gotta, I gotta get a Les Paul. So I bought an Epiphone Les Paul and like a little Vox amp, and then that was it. I remember the first day I, le- I picked up the guitar, I spent like eight hours, like nonstop, just trying to get the Sweet Child of Mine riff. The first time I ever picked up a guitar. That was I, your like, goal. I remember, like, the day before I got the guitar, I, like, printed out the tabs for Sweet Child of Mine. I was like, I have no idea what this is, but I'm going to, like, figure this out tomorrow when I get the guitar. Yeah. This is pre-YouTube. Uh, Did you No, I think it was YouTube, but early YouTube. Okay. Maybe not. Maybe it was pre-YouTube. I don't remember. But I wasn't, like, involved with that at all. Well, because it's like a – now, you know, kids are like – that's crazy. We don't print tabs anymore. Though. They go to this. Just go to the like, video. I'm like, I always tell them, like, whatever you got to do to figure this fucking song out, you figure it out. <laughs> All the answers are out there, buddy. Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, like I'm being a dick. But then like, no, no, I watched sure. this YouTube video. And you're like, I know. It's that like, guy oh. doesn't even fucking play it right. <laughs> yeah, like. <laughs> I, well, that's another thing. We're going back to, like, how to direct students and, like, challenges. It's like there's too much shit out there. And you got to be like. You got to focus. You got to be like, yeah. this is this. Yep. You know, like, just check this out. Trust me, dude. I know there's other people telling you different things, but just do this. Yeah. Um, and that's hard because you go on YouTube and Instagram, it's just like a wall of stuff. And kids are just like, you know, they don't. So anyway, um, what were you talking about? Oh, so Sweet Child of Mine. Yeah, you spent so the first like, eight hours to learn that how to you play this. <laughs> playing and, the intro to Sweet Child yeah, of Mine. Yeah, that was it. So, But that's kind of where my guitar thing started off as. It was like a, it was like classic rock, you know. I wasn't that into Hendrix before I started playing guitar, but then mm-hmm. I was like, oh, Hendrix. You know, I liked ACDC a lot. They're still one of my favorites. Um, so I was like learning all that stuff. Uh, Hendrix, you know, the Van Halen stuff and the Guns N' Roses stuff, I kind of quickly realized, I was like, this is a little hard. Maybe I'm going to go you know, back a little Maybe bit, yeah. I should, like, actually play the guitar for, like, a few months before I, like, tackle this. Because, like, Appetite for Destruction, like, the solos so are in a different key than the rest of the song, and there's, like, delay, and there's two guitar parts, and there's, like, all this, like, Chuck Berry kind of stuff, like, built into there. It's, like, it's not really approachable for like a younger student no you got to be playing guitar think. for a minute no hell no yeah acdc the riffs for sure the solos have a ton of nuance in them those are yes. crazy um but so yeah i came from that and then i got really into the blues i got really into bb king i was like oh i could kind of like get what where this is coming from you acquired a nickname blue nicky <laughs> <laughs> that's right he only right. played blue guitars for a little while. I had a blue Strat. 
And that was like that was your main jam. So is that wait? Is the strat no? Not to geek out too much, but that's post the Derek Trucks phase or pre the Trucks phase? It was kind of at the same time. Okay. Um, maybe actually maybe post because before that my main guitar was like a Les Paul. Yeah, and I was playing that thing like constantly, and then, and I was playing slide too. I just was like open. I tuned to open E. I remember I took a pit band gig. In in um, that sounded so professional, but it was really just the high school hip <laughs> hip. I took a gig. I took a Broadway. No, gig. dude, I showed up I after mean, school. No, it and... was a chorus line yeah. with ninth graders. <laughs> yeah, um, I did, but I did the pit and my guitar. I was adamant. I was like, the guitar is in open E, and I got to figure out all these jazz chords with it. And and like I brought That's it to my guitar animal, teacher, bro. and he was just like, "You're a piece of shit." Now I gotta like. Who was your first teacher? I had this guy named Anthony Smith, mm-hmm. and he was amazing. He was super. He was super. Uh, what time is your parking up? Uh, two minutes. God damn. Okay, I know it sucks. Um, but yeah, Anthony Smith was the man, and um, he really he really hooked me on the guitar. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I I really I would have liked it regardless. I think, but. But he was cool about just being like, try this. He got me into like metal too, which I was like not really into. I was just like, oh, this is like a little abrasive for me. Um, but he's like, no, like check this out. And like he showed me like early Metallica stuff. We even got into like some Pantera, which is crazy. Like you know, stuff that I'm not associated with now, like really at all. But that's part of my upbringing. And then he showed me like Thrill is Gone. He was like, dude, check out how bad you were there. This hook, is. line, and sinker. Hook, hook line, and sinker. I, yeah. Sinker. I was like his dream student because I like I anything. He's like, check out this nylon string thing. I was like, whoa, you know, I was just really into it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he planted the seed for sure. Like he was amazing. He re- and he was good about being like, all right, you got to do this scale. Like you got to you got to figure this theory thing out. You got to figure. You got to know these scales all over the neck. You got to know these chords. It's like, all right, are you bored with those chords yet? Try this one. Yeah, you know? yeah. Here's a new he, voicing. Yeah. Remember was, this voicing? It's also this chord. Yeah, yeah he, was, he was just amazing. I, I, and I haven't spoken to him in forever. I don't, I don't even know what his deal is now. So I You owe him a him. steak dinner. Or, I totally uh, lamb owe him a steak dinner. dinner. My he, guitar teacher he was like, someday you're going to come back. You're going to take me <laughs> out for lamb chops. And I like think about it. Every couple months, and I'm did like, you? I just no, and I'm like, <laughs> he's getting older. He's probably gonna fucking die. I'm like, I gotta drive up there and just do this because I Where do own up in Syracuse. Oh, cool. But he like put that in my head. He's like, you who was thank me? His name was Gordon Moore. Okay. But we should use that line with our students so we lamb dinner, like, like or whatever that. our meal is, so that like someday when we're old and feeble, these little seeds will come. I'm gonna tell you. <laughs> A Nikki story real quick, and we can take a pause for the cause, yeah. and we'll wrap this up. Uh, right in your blues phase, and Nikki was a young man really playing the blues, like an adult playing the blues. You played with Thank space, you, you played like confidently and had sound, and we were all like, damn, fucking Nikki's playing the blues. This is cool. And I remember <clears throat> I was just deciding whether or not I'm going to say this person's name specifically. I will tell you <laughs> okay. off mic because I don't. They're still a parent in the scene. Okay. So, a particular parent. I don't know why they singled me out to tell me this, but you had started gone from blues guitar, Nikki, entering into what this parent referred to as like that 
lame Steely Dan shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, the natural yeah. progression started to get oh, into great. it, and he was just like, another one! Another one bites the dust! Charlie's teaching all this jazz, and now the blues is gone from his playing, you know oh, what I mean? And I was just funny. kind of being like, hey, man. It's like, growing pains, dude. It's gr- <laughs> It is, though. you got to suck. It's a non-musician parent where they're just like, they uh, they like the blues, you know what I mean? And then they hear jazz and it's like, ew, what is this? You know, yeah, like, it's like, dude, I'm 18 years old. Like, give me a break. Yeah, no, it was funny. But that's how much of a fan we all were of you that, like, people are commenting. Yeah, it's like funny. when you hear your guitar god with a different sound, you're like, ew, 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 what are they doing? Yeah. This is not what I'm paying for. Like, But, like, you know, it's funny because it's like I... I wasn't, like, stoked about being, like, the blues dude. I was like, I was like, this is cool. And, like, when it was new, I was like, oh, yeah, the blues. Blues, blues. And now, and not now, but, like, later in high school, I was just like, I'm, I want to find other things. I don't want to sound like Stevie Ray. I don't want to sound like this. I mean, like, not that I would if I tried. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, I, I don't want to gun for that goal. I want, I want to do... Something else. And I was... You knew then you were going to find your own sound. You were on the path. Or, yeah, I guess. <laughs> no, it's good. I mean, so... Okay, we're going to take a quick pause. Pay for the packing. I'm glad I announced that, too. And we're back. We're back on the most beautiful... <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, surprisingly really sunny and warm out. It's the best Valentine's Day ever. That's I get right. to hang out with you, and it's beautiful. <laughs> What were we just laughing about? Oh, the kid. And you're going through the growing pains. That's right. Yeah, growing pains. I mean, it's like you got to lose something to gain something. and then, <laughs> But you, like, go back and get it, too, you know? But then yeah. it's never the same. So, like, you could play literally the same exact stuff you used to play, but it doesn't – it's not true anymore. It's like, it's like you're bullshitting by going back to your roots. Yeah. There's, like – there's that thing too, like when, when I was in high school, like and I was in this blues thing. Like the thing that came after that for me was, like a songwriter, songs thing. Mm-hmm. And you know, I was I was studying with Greg Mayo mm-hmm. and Lagand, and and I guess as a, a high school musician, I was like, and and even college musician, I was like very easily swayed. Like there was always somebody that influenced me and I was like, well now I gotta do that. I gotta go check that out. Like dive into that. So <clears throat> into with, the Greg Mayo thing. He looms over every so, episode in my podcast because he's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's in the Yeah. I I listened to the Beesky one very recently and Ain't nothing wrong that. with that no, with Mayo. Not at all. I mean he's just Love the monster musician of the world. Yeah. Yeah. Greg was a huge influence on my life because I never Really, before I started studying with him, I never really checked out Motown stuff. Yeah. I never really checked out... You were starting with him in the height of his Motown phase. Yeah. Yeah, probably. This was like 2008. So when I... I mean, when I joined Legand, I was just like like blown away by the amount of music that I was like, wow, I don't know about any of this stuff. I don't really <laughs> know about jazz I don't really know about Latin music at all. I don't know about funky stuff. I don't know about Motown. You know, I don't know who really... The Latin thing? I still don't know about that genre. (laughs) Or ever will. I'm always like, all right, Charlie, that's cool. 70s, bro. But I'm like, 
white dude from upstate. I can't even fake this shit, you know? But yeah, with so but with Greg, it was like it was just, I was just he was like, check out this Marvin Gaye record. It's called What's Going On. Like, yeah. All right. He's like, check out this Stevie Wonder record. It's called Songs in the Key of Life. I was like, all right. You know, I was like, I know these names. These are like famous people, but I don't really, you know, I think my parents, they knew that stuff, but they weren't as into it as they were into like Led Zeppelin and the Beatles. Yeah. Um, and my friends, you know, weren't into, didn't really check that stuff out. Um, but yeah, so I was like super in this Motown thing. Greg got me really into Sting's solo career. I got in into Steely Dan like on my own thing as an outcropping of like there's some other stuff going on in this song. I don't really know what it is, but it kind of intrigues me. Yeah, yeah. It was like that. You know, it was very, you know, it, it wasn't the aesthetic that was like, you know, that's that wasn't what was captivating me. It was more of just like the compositional thing. I'm mm -hmm. like, oh, this is different than anything I've heard. You know, I was listening to the weather report at this time. Oh, that's the cla that's the real. Now you know, you're now so, you're down the rabbit hole when heavy weather's out. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> but all during that period, I was like, I don't even think I was that into guitar. Like I, I listened to like Stevie Wonder. I was like, I want to play Rhodes now. Yeah. Like you know, I went through one of those phases. I was like, Sting. Like I want to sing now. You know, and I got really into that, and then. Then after I studied with with Greg and like of course like learned about all this new music, then I started studying with Russ. Yes. And Russ was like, "Who's your favorite guitar player?" First like question out of the gate, and I was just like, "I don't even know anymore." Like, who did you say? I I was like Stevie Ray, but I don't really listen to him anymore. That's like I was my default I, answer. Yeah. I had like a shitty response, and he was like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" He's like, he's like, "You need to know." He gave me like a whole list. He's like. Wes Montgomery, George Benson, like, list all these jazz guys and, like, bluesy, soulful guys, like, Kenny Burrell, Grant Green. And he's like, then you got to check out, like, Chet Atkins. Like, who is he? Like, check out, you know, Tommy Emmanuel, like, all these people. He's like, you like Stevie Wonder? Well, here's, like, Tommy Emmanuel doing, like, an arrangement of a Stevie Wonder tune. Like, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then that was where it kind of, like, and then well, that the whole jazz I wasn't checking out Chet Atkins then I didn't really get it um but I did get really I got super into the George Benson thing you know and and I was like well he's bluesy he's like really shreddy like, I, he's like he plays fast but like I wasn't even that that I don't think at the time was what intrigued me I think it was just like oh he's like playing with like a real good feel and like oh, it's like time. a blues yeah. it's like a blues thing but it's different so that was like i was like oh it sounds bluesy but not the same way that stevie ray sounds bluesy um and he was also a beastly singer and mm. obviously and like he's one of the greatest so that music really became interesting for me and then in college i went to berkeley i studied with richie hart uh, among others and I really dug into George Benson and, and Wes Montgomery and Grant Green, Kenny Burrell. And, uh, yeah, so then that was, like, my main goal in at Berkeley. I was like, I want to learn how to, like, swing, do the straight-ahead jazz thing and play it with, like, a convincing swing feel. And then, then I started getting into jazz more, you know. It, it, didn't, it didn't happen until I was already – 
kind of in college and like maybe right before college. I kind of went into Berkeley as like a, yeah, I'm like a fusion guy, but not really. I'm like a bluesy guy that knows his modes. Yeah. That's kind of like the guys I went under. And I was like, I did this really cool finger style piece, like this arrangement of Josie that Russ showed me. And it like really got, it got me in the door at Berkeley. So, um, and then I did the straight ahead jazz thing for a while. And just like, I was more of just interested in like, I just want to learn how to do this. I want to study. Like that's my, that was totally my goal at Berkeley. It wasn't like this really, I'm going to network and meet all these people. It was really just like, I want to fucking learn how to do this shit and like learn about it and like historically like understand why it's good. Um, and then at NYU, when I did my master's, I did, you know, I did, um, I did a music ed degree and, and that was, that was so helpful for me. I, I wound up reading all of this, um, I think it's it's really called like music ed philosophy, but it's really just like like music psychology kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, one of my professors, David Elliott, was was amazing. I, I I remember just being so into his book, and it's just like how to think about music, and like just like I can't even like describe it to you. Um, but really, it really made it me was think- his book. Yeah, it was his book. And, and then you it took was called Music Matters. By the guy who wrote the book? Yeah, totally. That's always dangerous. Hashtag college. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. Buy my book and I'll teach you my book. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but it was amazing. And it made me think about music in such a different way. Yeah, I was just true like, thinker, deep cat. Yeah, I was. Just, and, and then I did my master's thesis kind of based on what I was. I mean, by this time I was teaching at Lagan. You know, and I, I did my master's thesis about Lagan and about jazz and about free improvisation and how to like, you know, how to facilitate this like safe space in a music classroom. And and then after college, I was like, all right, I'm going to build a Telecaster and like try to like make sense out of all of that shit that just happened. Yeah, And that's I guess that's where this record comes from. This one is like. Yeah, I mean, like, I it's, it's kind of a... It's like... You're it, still recovering from... It's just like... I've, years I've, of education. I've gone through all of these, like, kind of phases musically, and this is kind of just, like, maybe the culmination of a lot of those, uh, I would say. Like, there's some, like... There's some moments on the record where I'm just kind of, like... I'm, like, channeling rock and blues stuff, yeah. you know? And, like, that... You know, again, like I said, it's, like, in a different way than you did when you were in high school, but it's, you know, it's a thing. So, but I, I would, I just like, I was just all about like combining all my influences. I was going to like combine it all and like see what, see if I can make something cohesive. Out of it. Yeah. So that leads perfectly to the kind of the question I generally use to wrap it up, which is a funny mm-hmm. question. Only because I love people have such different answers. But, <laughs> What is the future then for you? Do you have a vision or a plan or a... That's a great question. Um, Clearly the immediate future is... Yeah. Promoting the record the next year or two years of your life. But post that, yeah. I mean, I already have so many ideas for like other records. I want to do... I want to do more of like a straight ahead jazz record, but with like the Telecaster thing that I'm kind of working on. I want to do... Using 
We haven't even talked about Telly Tuesday. You're using, <laughs> yeah. Well, you're using uh, pieces of new media, YouTube, as a means to get your yeah. guitar hero status known. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I I I haven't been so religious about doing or disciplined lately about posting. When I first started it, I was like, I have to post every week. It has to, <laughs> and I really did it as, um sort of a way to kind of learn about different things. It was more of like, like I, I, I wanted to learn how to use logic better. Mm-hmm. I wanted to learn how to mic an amp better. I wanted to learn how to arrange things on guitar better and quickly, you know, like in a week I have to have something. So like I wanted to learn performance ready. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I wanted to learn how to use video editing software. I wanted to learn how to, how to use yeah what like all that stuff all the tools so, of so it was more of of that plus like just showing people like hey this is kind of like what I do and and who I am that, mm-hmm. that was really it um i would like to get back to that more it's been like 3 weeks since i've done one um but besides that <coughs> the future is just like you finding ways to like use my compositional brain and like guitar sound that I'm like chasing in like other contexts. So I want to do like a more like a very <laughs> it's kind of funny you asked me this like oh like the production thing. I want to make like a record that's super produced, but like it's instrumental music and but it's less about improvisation and more about other things. More about the production. Yeah, modern. production and like the the compositions. And then I want to do like I want to do a really avant-garde thing. And then I want to do a record that's kind of like this, that's like a live band feel with other textures. So, I mean, that's four records. I don't know what I'm going to do next. We'll see. That That is four records. You, the first thing, just... But, like, that's, yeah. Straight that's, ahead. That means, yeah, like a swinging record with the traditional... Yep. Traditional sounds of 50s and 60s kind of jazz, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's like Rudy Van Gelder shit, but, like... Like sonically, if I don't know, I don't know, people are gonna hate me for saying that, but like, um, just like just a straight ahead jazz record, yeah, that's just really what I want to do as as one of the things. Yeah, that was four know. records. You're right. <laughs> so I don't know. That's that's the future. I How guess. about touring in Europe? I would like to go. Yeah, I would like to do that a little bit. I want to do just kind of like weekend warrior stuff coming up. I'm kind of working on that now. Um, with just the quartet or the trio. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to get like a New York thing more established where like you know, maybe a residency somewhere, maybe, um, yeah, I, something, just something more consistent. Um, and, and that it's like a workshop and I could just keep bringing new tunes new in. New shit and, like, in, yeah. The band is like constantly fresh. So... Yeah, I'd say that's the goal. That's that's what's next for my thing. Yeah, those are those are those are big. You got that's that's like ten years. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> we'll we'll see. We'll see what pans out. Yeah, you know, because it's like you said, it's always it's always changing, and you're always reacting against yourself. But like, I just think it's important to write all this stuff down, and then you look back on it two months later, and you're like, oh yeah, I forgot about that thing I thought I was gonna do. The thing I was so fired up about. Yeah, and then sometimes. It's e- easier later when you haven't thought about it in a while. Yeah. 
No, it is true. It's always I always have the same goals from 2000 until now. It's like work out more, <laughs> drink less. You know, <laughs> those are the first two. Yeah, and yeah, that's and those oh are the ones God. that keep slowly slipping away. I'm like, God <laughs> damn it! That's um, so funny. That is funny, man. The, <laughs> keeping a journal, and you kind of look back at it, and you're like, yeah. Whatever happened to that? I am oh my God. I, I think the third thing that I think I always have is like work on my own thing more because it's so hard to do. Yeah, your own sound, your own artistic. Oh yeah, it's vision. It's so crazy. easy. You're just because that get makes wrapped you up in no dollars. Shit. It makes it just loses dollars. It makes no. Yeah. <laughs> it makes no it makes dollars. No dollars. <laughs> yes, it makes no dollars. I mean, yeah, unless you're already. Touring with it and, like, you know, you're one of those people. But it's, like, yeah, it's hard because then you get, like, you realize, like, being a musician is, like, time is very valuable. Yes. You know, it's, like, because, like, if I had, like, eight billion things to do during the day, there's no way I would have made this record, you know, so. Well, it's, well, I mean, I, that's a compliment to you because you have put focus on, your own thing. Thank You've you. You've made it a priority, you know? Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> Which is hard to do. Thank you. Right? Like, yeah, it is hard. As soon as you say, I'm going to do this thing, and then you're like, people are like, hey, do you want to do this thing? Do you want to do this thing? You want to do this thing? And then your thing just gets diluted and diluted and diluted. Of course. Yeah. Of course. That's, that's the way it is. And, and I don't know about you, but I always feel more accountable to other people than to myself, <laughs> you know, if some, if I have like somebody telling me like, you have to show up at this gig and play this stuff and do it this way. And I went, Oh, okay. But like, if I write down, like I have to like write this song, I'll just be like, man, eh, yeah. tomorrow, we'll do it tomorrow. Yeah. You know? So like, I think deadlines are very important. Um, that's just, what Telly Tuesday gave you. That's what Telly Tuesday totally gave me. Mm-hmm. And, and I was just like, I fuck, I have to do it. And, like, sometimes the videos would go out and I'd be like, I didn't really like that one. Like, not at all. And then, like, two weeks later, I would listen to it and be like, that one wasn't that bad. You know, I'm pretty critical about my own shit. Like, like that's just this is the way I am, you know. Yeah. Some, some people are able to be like, yep, I did it and that's it. Great. You know, maybe I just, I don't know. That's just me. Is I think a lot a of people community of these, if, like, maybe on Instagram or YouTube of, like, these Telecaster affectionados who have found you or sought you out? There's Because you have such a thing, right? It's like a fan who just loves all things telecast. Thanks. Do a, they find you? And There's a couple of people that have reached out and have been like, wow, like, tell, I love telly stuff and, like, this is, like, right up my alley. Like, yeah. blah, blah, blah. You know, um, the telly thing is interesting. It, it's like, you know, you, you mentioned... Who'd you mention that said like, oh yeah, I played Telecaster on this and then electric guitar on this? Yeah, yeah, Adam Gould. Yeah, Adam Gould. Um, and he's in the South now. And the friend will be like, Master of the Telecaster, Adam Gould. <laughs> it's like, it's a whole fucking thing. It's like know? a whole thing, but at the same time too, it's ridiculously varied. You know, like, I don't think any, like, none of my, I've, none of my shit sounds like, like, uh, what's his name? Like Brad Paisley or any of that. Like, not even close. It's just a different... Thing. So there's like those oh, kind yeah, of like the, the traditional country telly people. Danny Gatton. Yeah. And even like the difference between Danny Gatton and Brent, uh, not Brent Mason, uh, Brad Paisley is like huge. huge to me. Yeah. 
And then there's people like Bill Frizzell that are like, yeah, it's like telly-ish. And then there's like, you know, Julian Lodge. Like so many people doing it, but there's so many different colors. Yeah. You know, there's so many different flavors of it, which I think is cool. So. No, there really is. Yeah. I don't know. It's like to go to the Gould story from earlier is that he was a Les Paul dude. Mm-hmm. He was a Strat dude. And we all kind of like, it's like eventually everyone kind of becomes a Telecaster player. Yeah, there's something about it. There's so- <laughs> It's like there's something about it that it just works in so many musical yeah. situations. Yeah. It's your, part of your old soulness that you just came to it at like whatever, 24, where you're like, I'm a telly player. I'm, yeah. Why, why have I been denying my true self, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny. I mean, I don't know. I think it just has to do. I don't know. I no, I don't know. It's a magical thing. <laughs> it's just a versatile guitar too. It's hella versatile. You know, so that that is that's cool about it, and that's part of the reason I really like it. Is like I could just do lots of different things with it. You do literally everything with it. I do most of my things with it. Um, there's a few gigs that I I don't use it because I just want to go after like even. Even like there's certain gigs that it's more it's even more about the look of like yeah it should look like an arch top like I know I could play the same kind of like shit on it I guess but like you know when the audience is like oh I want this kind of vibe and yeah, yeah. looking at me and there's like a telly on stage it might be a little weird so it, it just depends on what I'm doing but for my thing like it's like the whole the whole record was made with that one telecaster. Yeah, and same with the EP. They're they're both with the same guitar. So, it's your baby. It's my baby. Well, damn it, dude. That's what's up. Thank you for taking the time. I mean, I'm not pushing you out, but no, I no think worries. we got a lot in. I feel like we did dude. everything. We covered it all. Thank you. We got so the future. Much. I'm super honored to be here. Oh God, dude. So the record You're actually like, comes out on the 23rd. Yeah, it's it'll be on show. all digital platforms. Or are you going to do the? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm doing the whole thing. Bandcamp. Ah, uh, I gotta figure that one out. I don't know. I know That's just the, the one I like. Uh, what about Bandcamp's what? great though? Are I you using do. DistroKid? Are you using CD Baby? Or? CD Baby. Yeah. CD Baby. I only ask. That's the how you get your music out there, and it's like it seems like a fucking racket. That thing, right? Yeah, kinda. It's a racket. I'm like, they're making money on this. Yeah, I think you could get like. I found some like holiday special or something when I did it, mm-hmm. and it was like it seemed like a really good deal for distribution. I was like, oh, okay. I really like Nikki sent me a private link on SoundCloud. I liked that. That was slick. <laughs> That's cool though because it's like you're percolating it out there a little bit. You know yeah, what I mean? Like totally, totally. I mean, like I, that's when I when I try to book gigs and and I send it out to venues. Like that's what I use. You know, a private link. Because the record's not out yet. It's not out yet. Yeah, yeah. No, that was cool. I was like, oh, that's slick. <laughs> and then, you know what we have, Nikki? This is probably, I don't necessarily have to say this right now, but we have a great picture of us, that picture that John Rinsky took. Oh, I'm man. always thinking, that's like, a fantastic picture. <laughs> that was such a lovely evening. Yeah, that was awesome. I had a dude. blast. That was Nikki one of my favorite New shows. Blue. That was a fuck. That's the right place to take in that music. Yeah, I think so too. It's fucking dirty and cool and like. Yeah, it was, I'm not going to talk trash about other venues. Sure. I really liked that venue. Yeah, too. me too. Me too, dude. Felt like old New York in there. Yeah, you know? 
It's not like... That's what Tony would say. Old New York. It's got like an old New York vibe. Yeah, totally. No, it was cool. That was that was a great night. It's it's so rewarding when like so many friends come out. That's that's the best. It is the best. You know, they're just checking your shit out. Yeah. But seriously, the next record or whenever you you are you have an open invitation to my goofy little podcast. Oh, it's amazing! <laughs> so I, thank you for taking time and coming my down pleasure. here. My pleasure, and and I love what you do. Like the Teddy Kumpel podcast was incredible. He's the BC trip, one was incredible. I've I've kind of sampled the others, but I need to like just actually digest the others. Um, but it's amazing what you do, and I've I've learned so much about. These people I call my friends in in New York. It's amazing, and you are truly one of the most special human beings yeah, it's very on the whole planet. Nice to you, Nikki. Like, holy fuck! I, I'm so <laughs> honored to be your friend. All right, you're it. <laughs> you're a great friend. Um, yes, we uh, listen to the Caleb one because I was talking to your bass player Chris Anderson about how. I want to go to therapy and do acid. And those are two things <laughs> that he hasn't done and I haven't done. So I don't know what your take is on that. But I haven't done either of those things. Yeah, yet. so moving forward, these are things I'm going to check out. You know, like, <laughs> maybe we can do them all together and then have like oh a reconfig... Like maybe, I don't know what order you do them. Probably acid first and then therapy, you know? <laughs> these are... Oh this is what's not, that's my future. And I'm like, that's all right, what things do I need to experience <laughs> in life, you know? <laughs> Nikki Barbado, everybody, check out the record. It's coming out. Every day is a bad hair day. Thank you so much. Fucking love you, Paul. Love you too, Nikki. Thank you.
is he the best or is he the best? No, he's actually the best. Nicky Barbado is the best. Uh, that love and marriage is as fucking badass. I don't remember. Do I put the outro before the tune or after? Has it been that long? Secret Famous Family. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Um, guys, I have a Patreon. You don't really have. I'm not like this is the soft technical director. But, dude, whatever. Have the fucking best day. Enjoy Nikki's record. It's sick. And we'll see you, oh, so soon. We got cra- I got crazy ones in the can right now. Ugh, they're coming. Kelly Wolfgram. So fine. Kyle Duke. It's getting good, baby. Stay focused. Stay real. Enjoy the podcast. Talk to you soon.